Throughout the history of professional wrestling, the chosen few have scaled the peaks of excellence to become legends of sport. Tonight, the greatest of these have converged on Atlanta's Omni for a Legends reunion. And as we honor the legends of the past, new history will be made as the heroes of the present battle for championship gold and personal glory. World Championship Wrestling presents Slamboree 93, a legend. You are reunion. looking live at the Omni! Oh, I lost, lost your mic then, Tinky. Yeah, yeah, I can't hear you, Tinky. No, can't hear you, mate. Sorry, that would be because I was on mute. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But also because I'm losing connection to you both, so give me a second. She's going to put you on the mobile. I'm going to switch to my mobile connection. Okay. Oh, I just need to fill time. Scorpio, do, 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 do. too cold. Do, do. Scorpio, do. he's got his own pen and he's got his own move. He's got his own pen and he's got his own move. Too cold. Do, 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 do. Scorpio, do, 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 do. too cold. Do, 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 do. Scorpio. He's got his own pen and there we go, you back. Beautiful. Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and this is the 20th episode of a show that began merely as the faintest whiff of an idea when Old Man mentioned that he'd recently watched Royal Rumble 1995 at the beginning of the year. As this is the 20th episode, it means we've got quite a lot to cover. We have, of course, got today's featured event itself, WCW's Slamboree 1993, a Legends reunion. But also, we have The Game, which has been our enduring end-of-show segment since the start, apart from last week when it was actually at the beginning of the show. And also, an update on our league table of events, where I will be counting down our top 10 wrestling cards so far covered on this podcast. But before all of that, let me introduce the two men who have been my co-hosts from day one. Firstly, old man Sam Carey, who last week commented that John Tenter looked about 70 years old when he was actually only nine, which is rich coming from someone who only earned his own nickname for precisely that reason. Sam, how are you today? Well, they say people in glass houses shouldn't throw stings. So I grabbed a boulder and I threw it at poor old young John Tenter. Poor little infant John Tenter, that little slag. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Can't help but notice that Legends Reunion is a fitting title, given the look of us three absolute fucking studs coming in your ears. And also we have Tom Smith, who will no doubt be chomping at the bit today to lay into what has got to go down as his personal nightmare of a tag team combination that appear on the show we're about to cover, as Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas come together to form Hell's Own Spawn. Tom, how's it going? Yeah, it was all right. Do you know what? I won't, I'm not going to give anything too too much about that match involving those two individuals. But what I will say is that they are masked through it, basically, so I could pretend that it wasn't them. Is that the wrestling equivalent of sitting on your hand before you have a tug? So that it feels like someone else, your hand goes numb. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, the old dead hand gang. <laughs> that was their tag team name, I think, wasn't it? Dead hand gang? <laughs> have you watched have you watched the in between us thinking no oh it's tre- it is tremendous it, it is excellent it, as always with these things i was about eight years behind and then when i watched it, i was like i should have watched this years ago 
I've seen the film and I thought it was bang average. So I'm, I've not been inspired to go watch the show, to be honest. The, the film's good, but it, it's a lot better if you've seen the TV series. And the TV series is better, generally. Okay, well, may, maybe I'll give it a look. Let's stop, Tinky. Go off and watch all of it now. Back to back. <laughs> then come back and report back. <laughs> this is more than enough talk about sitcom I've never watched before. So let's move on. Before we head into today's show, though, uh, and our expectations for it, of course, there is a correction we must do from last week. <laughs> so um, you may remember we were discussing CM Punk's uh, music and the fact that he seemed to get licensed music all of the time. Of course, he used um, Cult of Personality um, in later years. But first of all, we had Kill Switch in engages this fire burns and we suggested that that was a song prior to it becoming an entrance for cm punk now of course it was because all songs are songs before they become a wrestling entrance they have to be made after all <laughs> but this was kill switch engages this fire burns was actually made specifically for wwe's uh, reckless intent compilation and was originally intended to be Randy Orton's theme tune. I did a little bit of digging on this because I wanted to find out about it. Uh, for whatever reason, that plan was scrapped and they then made it the theme for WWE Judgment Day 2006 before finally it was given to CM Punk. So he had it actually third hand as opposed to being some kind of special favour that he had uh, for him. And to be honest, I can, ima- I can only imagine that there's never a special favour involved when it comes to Kill Switch Engage, but I'm sure somebody out there likes them. I do. I like them. You they, would. Uh, yeah, they, so the This Fire Burns is done with their original singer, whose name I don't know. And then he left because he had some voice problems. And then a gentleman called Derek took over. <laughs> and uh, I saw them live at the Bristol O2 Academy on the tour of the album after, I think it's As Daylight Dies, that song's on. Saw them after that, and they were magnificent so this fire wasn't on one of their albums apparently they later named it this fire as opposed to this fire burns they renamed it and put it on like a special edition of one of their previous releases apparently oh it is as daylight dice special edition mm. how would randy orton have got to the ring with that music on because <laughs> no. obviously we know it um I can, bloody hell i can't remember like everything's merging into one when he basically sprinted down to the ring yep uh, right. i think it's judgment day 2002 seven he'd have had to have moshed his way down just getting people in it, it would have been like adam rose's entrance i think it would have been a bit like ultimate warrior is like oh. properly run and shaking the ropes Le- and everything can you imagine like with his with his injury problems Randy Orton, that's why he <laughs> yeah. he's right about rolling an ankle or something that's why he, that's why he runs to the ring so he walks here slowly imagine him the amount of times he had bad enough time with his shoulders didn't he back in the day yeah. randall keith well, in fairness, he obviously has moved on in terms of his music since those days. But uh, yeah, uh, just a, just some extra information and context there for you, just in case you thought we we were just going to let something stay out there that was just wrong. Um, uh, you know what? I admire that because I completely forgot we've been talking about talk, we talking about that. We've been talking about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I actually listened to that song yesterday. I was channeling my inner punk and I was doing that weird wrist roll thing that he does. This fucking hell, boys! I can't talk. <laughs> and, uh, and then I just shouted randomly, "It's clobbering time!" At some unsuspecting old lady who was walking past. Sounds very much like your pre-wank ritual. Well, I did have a nice little tag afterwards. So. <laughs> your pre-wank ritual, right down to the old lady in the street, <laughs> <laughs> yelling at an old lady. I remember, I remember once when I was driving down, driving down St Michael's Hill, and um, there was this, this old woman crossing the road really slowly. And she gave me a really dirty look as if I was in the wrong and I called her an old bat. <laughs> <laughs> she mortified my wife. No end. 
I tell you what, some people just lose it driving, and Tom is very much an angry driver. He's not angry in any other part of his entire life, but when it comes to driving, he's a horrible bastard. <laughs> it's, people are idiots. We've said this before. Yeah. Um, also, note to say that if you are new to the podcast, please take a gander at our previous episodes, which can all be found in the same place you found this one. We've cast the net pretty far and wide for shows to cover, and now have shows ranging from 1985 to the current year, so there's bound to be something for you there. So, guys, let's talk about Slambury 1993, a Legends reunion, and in particular, our expectations for the show. Let's start with you, old man. Well, we've had a bloody good time doing the WCW shoes, I must say. And like, I know we, uh, we, had a good, we had a good chat about Slambury 2000. That wasn't a good show. But the other shows that we've covered have been very enjoyable. So I was so much- out. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's an NWO pay-per-view. But, yeah, no, to be fair, we had a lovely old time talking about that. Yeah, I was... I settled in to watch it, and I thought, I hope this isn't slam boring. <laughs> no one's ever lingered on a fucking <laughs> pun as as long as old man did, and it made it funny. So you can't argue with that, can you? <clears throat> Tom, your expectations. I started off not really. I saw the, the thing said Legends reunion, and I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be interesting. Looking forward to seeing a bit of Harley Race being brought out with the Legends, which he isn't. Which was the one thing I was pretty sure I was guaranteed on happening in this movie review. And then when I started watching it and I heard the rundown of some of the matches, I thought, I reckon this could be quite tasty. Yeah, similar to both of you. I think that having seen the kind of some of the uh, matches that were announced, I thought this sounds quite good. Uh, I also was obviously like old man kind of interested from in terms of the proximity it has to Spring Stampede 94, which certainly myself and old man rated very highly and thought that hopefully we're in for something very similar. And I did know as well, though, that there were I, I had a vague memory from something in the past where I knew that there were sort of three matches involving older wrestlers and when i say older wrestlers i don't mean kind of you know highly race i mean probably even older than highly race so uh i i was kind of tempered my enthusiasm was kind of tempered by the prospect of some of those matches likely to come up later in the show mm. that was something i wasn't aware of and then when they mentioned it i could mm. think i was like oh yeah same same i was a little bit like i know but i thought there's no way they're gonna outstay their welcome absolutely not <laughs> no why would anybody do that absolutely wrestling never does that wrestling never ever does that um so we start the show with news that jesse ventura is in the hospital so can't be with us he would have probably um been on color commentary duties for the show i'd imagine because this would have been prior to bobby heenan's arrival in wcw uh so instead we've got tony Schiavone with larry zabisco on commentary for this one old man's pulling a face what what does that mean to be fair he gets better zabisco but he's just nonsensically rambling which is quite ironic that I'm moaning about that, given what we do on here. But he is just going on. And then he says, time fears only the pyramids and the legends of wrestling. It's true, though, man. You can't argue with it, can you? That's, that's, that's <laughs> well, definitely one of his quotes that he's thought up and was like, that sounds fucking cool. And like yeah. somebody said it and someone's like, that's really cool. And then walked away and gone, time fears only pyramids and the legends of wrestling. Yeah. That makes no sense. I think he'd have gotten away with it if he'd only said it once, but he says it a couple of times, and that's probably his issue here. There's also lots of older wrestlers in the ring from the past. We've got Dusty Rhodes, Dory Funk Jr., Nick Bockwinkle, The Crusher, Mr. Wrestling 2, Magnum TA, Ivan Koloff, Luthez, Blackjack Mulligan, and lots of others that I didn't Mm. manage to see because there was just not very long lingering shots on them, but there were a lot of people in the ring. Shoehart is in the ring. And I didn't even realise he was there until later on, so that was another reason why I haven't listed him in that group. Another thing. Jesse been in hospital. I hope it wasn't anybody. Well, he's still alive, so it couldn't have been that yeah. serious. 
But I wonder if he was getting his repulsive money. He <laughs> was getting it removed, did you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, were, they were like, tell, we could go to the hairdressers. And every hairdresser in the States was like, get the fuck, that, the fuck out of this hair salon, salon or whatever. <laughs> and they had to take him to a local medical facility to get it removed. And, and the other thing is, as well, it's Larry Zabisco. His voice always reminds me of Cliff from Cheers, a.k.a. the pig from Toy Story. His voice is bang on like the pig from toy story and it always kind of throws me i'm glad we never had this conversation before i watched it because that would have been in my head but yeah he very much does that's future wcw pay-per-views ruined for you then i don't think he's on very many of them so i don't i don't think you need to worry so with the um legends still in the ring max Payne comes out we saw him of course at spring (laughs) stamp spring stampede 94 and he kicks us off with a lovely guitar solo. He's just loving it. He's just absolutely playing his little heart out as some muscle men carrying fabulous moolah um, come to the ring. They've got they've got a big old wooden cart of of sorts that they're carrying to the ring, and they look like they're struggling. So I'm assuming that yeah. the wooden structure is pretty heavy. And as I said, out steps the fabulous moolah, who is being called the queen of the ring. Is that right? <laughs> the queen of yeah, something. Yeah, the the queen of wrestling. Queen of Wrestling. But when when she came out, I must say, I expected a lot more from the furry honeypot adventure. <laughs> oh, he's, he's, he's really shoehorning these in now as best he can. I, say, I wondered if the gentleman was struggling so much because uh, Fabulous Moolah was keeping some female wrestlers prisoner within the throne. <laughs> yeah, oh. maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I did, I did. I did wonder that as well. There was probably like fifteen of them in that box, and um, I was preparing. This is what wrestling does to you. This is why wrestling's so fucking weird. I was genuinely preparing myself for a man to come out of that box because I, that's what I just assumed would happen. And I was thinking to myself, my God, wrestling's homoerotic, isn't it? Well, I didn't. I didn't know what to expect. I, to be honest, I was kind of like, hang on, why is there nobody on top of the box? I thought they were supposed to be on top of the box. <laughs> So when someone came out of it, I was like, oh, right, okay, that makes more sense. And yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to kind of in my head figure out who it could possibly be because I was like, you've got so many people in that ring. Uh, I don't know who this is going to be. And they've named a load of them. So what I find really interesting about this whole Legends thing above the, around everything, and we can probably discuss this a little bit later, is that they, they kind of quite a few times in the show refer to things that happened in like the WWF. They do occasionally, which, yeah. which I thought was, which I thought was a bit odd. So obviously they're talking about the, this is the territories isn't it They're, it's effectively legends of the wrestling territories effectively isn't it because like fabulous moolah whilst she probably did some stuff in the nwa and stuff like that like i don't know i'm following following her story that much but like she's like renowned as being a wwf person well she? i think she is now i don't know if that was quite the same back then uh, because she was the, the, the WWF have kind of taken ownership of the woman's title that she supposedly held for however many years, but she kind of toured with it. It wasn't really just in the WWF that she had that belt. She kind of it was kind of her belt in in some respects, and she toured it with the women that she managed. Um, uh, no, sorry, sorry, you you've mispronounced exploited. Sorry. So WWF have a way of re- rewriting history quite a lot, and that was one example of where they've done it. But yeah, they do they do refer, refer to some of that stuff. Obviously, the stuff that Larry Zabisco talks about with regards to Bruno Sammartino, that all took place in WWF. Mm. But it's also worth noting that, and this is something that I think people misunderstand, because again, WWF deliberately tried to make it this way, is that whilst the WWF did leave the NWA in the early 60s, they did actually rejoin the NWA in the early 70s and only left the nwa properly in the early 80s 
So they were actually working with the rest of the NWA again through most of the 70s and the early 1980s. So mm. it wasn't quite as separate from the rest of the wrestling business as oh. they like to portray um, these days. Just one note before we move on. The music for this pay-per-view. I have no idea what it is. It's incredible. I could not get enough of it. The little music. I can't even remember how it goes, but I was watching it yesterday and I was like, fucking hell, this is, this is a bit of a bang in this. It, it sounds like the beginning of Paradise City by Guns N' Roses, and it's not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was originally, and maybe WWF forgot their editing on and dubbed it over. Who knows? So then we have Eric Bischoff on a kind of side of the stage bit. I don't really know what else to call it other than that. Uh, and he's with Missy Hyatt, the first lady of WCW. So we've got the queen of wrestling, Fabulous Moolah, mm-hmm. and now the first lady of WCW, Missy, Missy Hyatt. Bischoff says that yesterday we found out that Sting will take on The Prisoner. Uh, then the lights go out and <laughs> Bischoff and Hyatt are just in darkness. They continue to talk despite the darkness, but obviously there's been some production problems here. Um, and they run down the matches, including, uh, we're told, Dory Funk Jr. versus Nick Bockwinkle in a Legends match. Fair play to them. They do a good job at coping with the fact that they're all of a sudden plunged into darkness. And it's a, it's a great it is an absolutely cracking visual because it's just these yeah. two silhouettes stood there in front of a crane. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, so that's when I realised that there were going to be some of these legend ma- legend matches and my stomach dropped. Because mm. <laughs> this goes on a long time as well. It seems to go on for about a week, they're chatting. And it's only, I think, because the light square that we pan while the camera goes and you can see all the legends just being shuffled out the ring. <laughs> so all those doddery old farts trying to leave a ring at the same time up that bloody narrow ramp. I'm not surprised they had to prattle on for so long. And Eric Bishop, and it's alluded to later on by one of the legends, is wearing so much makeup. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I, I genuinely thought it was Doink the Clown at first. I thought, what's he doing here, silly sod? Of course, this is not long after Bischoff has taken control of WCW. Um, really? So he's not just a, a kind of backstage interviewer at this point. The opening match of the night features beautiful Bobby Eaton and Chris Benoit against Two, two Cold Scorpio and Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Bagwell is referred to as WCW's Rookie of the Year. The match goes for nine minutes and ends when Scorpio hits a corkscrew somersault leg drop on Benoit, basically landing on his head as he does it yeah. um, and gets the pinfall. Tom, why don't you tell us about your thoughts on this one? So Two Cold Scorpio's music is fucking amazing i remember hearing it for the first time a couple of years ago just after the wwe network came out actually watched an old wcw pay-per-view and was blown away by it so rather than playing an interview tinky in the breaks on the on the show can you play get an uh, excerpt of two called scorpio's wcw music please because it is the fans need to hear it fans fuck me we haven't got any fans we've got people who trudge through the episodes and wait for it to finish (laughs) um but they they need to hear this they need to hear this because it's so good there's some really good, really good wrestling in this match, specifically between Benoit and Scorpio. Some really, really good moments. Um, Benoit wearing some incredible tights. I think we can yeah. all agree on these zebra print tights, which is very on brand for Chris Benoit. <laughs> and this, this is what I wanted to ask about, actually. In fact, I've got a couple of things. One thing I did notice about in this match, obviously Bobby Eaton 
beautiful Bobby Eaton, which I think old man said before, he's an absolute munter. So the fact that he's Bobby Eaton is that's absolute sham. That's a word um, I haven't heard in a long time, munter. And I don't know, is it a regional dialect word as well? I think it might even be like South Bristol, so I don't even I don't even know if anyone else uses the word munter. Um but anyway, he is an absolute gorm. And what I find really interesting about this about that match actually is he's obviously like a, a a tag team aficionado, an expert in in tag team wrestling, and what I what I quite enjoyed about that match is that he was doing all of the kind of heel tag team stuff. So he was like breaking up the pins and distracting the referee and being generally a bit of a dick, whilst Benoit kind of got involved with all the wrestling. And I thought it just worked it worked really well together. And um, Benoit, and this is what I wanted to ask about: he's not the Crippler at this point, or he's not the Rabid Wolverine, or any of these other nicknames he had back then. And I wasn't aware that he was ever in WCW before he went to ECW. I thought it was like ECW or Japan ECW, WCW, WWE sort of thing. But what is his kind of career trajectory? Trajectory? Did he like go and then come back? Or well, he must have done, I suppose. Yeah, I don't really know. I do know that he does appear very briefly in WWF in 1994. And Ted DiBiase was his manager. Very, very briefly. It might have only been for some dark matches, like before some of their television mm. tapings or whatever. But they were they were trialing him out as uh, kind of DiBiase. He might, I guess, probably if that had carried on, he probably would have been the the ringmaster. He would have probably gotten that gimmick because that probably yeah. was made for him. If you, you see what I mean. But it was, um, yeah, he he did do that. So he's obviously look. These things are never as simple as they're told when WWE or anybody retells them because it's complicated to say, oh, he went here and then he kind of did a bit of work there and then he did it. You know, it just doesn't. It's not as easy a narrative to tell. So I think right. he just did. A lot of back and forth don't forget wcw at this time as well had their uh relationship with new japan so it may even have been part of that for all i know mm. um there's a bit where um two called scorpio prior to get to the fish and tries to get the top rope and the cameraman's in the way yeah <laughs> he's like the fuck out of here <laughs> um, you're right about that finisher the finisher looks really impressive but he lands basically with his ass on benoit's head yeah like from the top with all that momentum after spinning and it this fucking pretty 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 brutal looking finisher if it wasn't for that i'd have said this was a very very, well it was a really good match but it would have been a really good match if they didn't have that horrible ending so it's just a bit like but i really enjoyed this match i thought it was a really good opener i completely agree i mean to be honest right where as tommy said you've got two called scorpio and then you've got well marcus bagwell coming down i'm like i'm in I'm in, and in spite of his uh, what would come, Benoit is tremendous in the ring. Don't really know much about old, old Muntin Bobby, to be <laughs> honest, but uh, we're off to a good start because you've got someone with a sign. They're obviously a big Marcus Bagwell fan, so they've got a sign. They've got their little pens out at him, and they've got what looks like a piece of A4 paper. M A R U S. Maris is great. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of Marcus. And, uh, I was saying this to Tom the other day. I started watching this and uh, I went in the right headspace to watch wrestling. So I watched this match and then I was like, ah, you know what? I'm not in the right mindset to do this. So then when I watched it back again, I got to see the sign again and it made me happy. I, the crowd uh, into this, I'm not surprised because you've got baggers in Scorps, two of the finest, having a lovely old time. Zabisco starts waffling again. He says that Bobby Eaton has basically built a career on tag team wrestling as if like it's like no one else has ever done it. And he says he's tag team perfect in there. Tag team perfect. And he also says that the video of this event will become a collector's item. Just completely out of the blue as well. 
this isn't going to be me bashing Zabisco, the whole thing. I don't really mention him after this. I thoroughly enjoyed this, and I thought, we're off and running nicely here. They've set the standard, in particular Spring Stampede, for 994, and I thought, fuck me. If we get a show like that again, I'm going to be, me and my teddy are going to have a bloody lovely old time. Um, Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. Um, Really fast paced, really nice opener, very tidy indeed, apart from the end where Benoit's face got crushed under the weight of Scorpio. And yeah, really liked it. I thought we're in for a real treat here because if this is the same sort of standard of spring stampede, we're going to we're going to be well in for a good show. Even Bagwell held up his end of the bargain, especially when you consider you would have been very young at this point, very Mm. green um, and still kind of learning his trade. Um, Scorpio was excellent. Benoit was excellent. Eaton was really great. Um, yeah, just a really decent tag team opener. One note: the count for the finish is an abomination as well because Bobby and clearly interferes with it. I'm not even sure Nick Patrick counts the three, but this is a running theme through the show. Just the referees. Just I think they went to the Scott Armstrong school of counting. Hmm. because yeah because they can't they do the the classic wcw and i think ecw as well counting where their arms are bent and they're kind of like it's not like a full-on um you know windmill like we've, yeah. we've had in the past it's it's the right kind of like really good and i think it's probably a way to protect their arms from becoming yeah. massively injured but it doesn't make for the best visual visuals i think no and you've kind of got to be looking at these referees and just going you're selfish because it's, it's not about your long-term health and your shoulders. We want you to have torn rotator cuffs just like Ric Flair. That's what we want. We also get our first inconsistent application of the over-the-top rope during uh, Raw mm. during this one. And they mention it on commentary, which I think, to be honest, if they'd have just not mentioned it, I wouldn't have noticed. Because there's no point during the show where it makes a difference. Like, they don't at no. any point... Do they actually enforce this rule, even though there are plenty of times during it where people go over the ropes, but they constantly talk about it. And you're kind of like, look, if you don't even know how to apply this rule yourself, just fucking stop it. It's ridiculous. It is nonsense. It's an absolute nonsense of a rule. Yeah. So then we have Tony Schiavone and uh, Larry Zbysko talking about Van Hammer not taking on Colonel Robert Parker, old man's hero, Colonel Robert Parker, as his manager. And there, as a consequence, Van Hammer will face... Uh, Colonel Robert Parker's newest client. Oh, yes. His newest client turns out to be the returning Sid Vicious, who then proceeds to destroy Van Hammer in 31 seconds, uh, pinning him after a power bomb. <laughs> oh, man. What's odd about this? I was a bit confused because obviously I bloody love Colonel Robert Parker. They referred to him as Colonel Rob Parker. <laughs> I don't, we're not on like, abbreviated name terms. He's a colonel. You show some fucking respect. Very informal. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for when I said abbreviated first name terms. Oh, Robbie Parks does a uh, does his entire promo with his back to the crowd when he's announcing that Sid's going to go out. And he refers to him as the man that rules the world, which I enjoyed. And then Sid gets a cracking pop, an absolutely cracking pop. Shivoni is very keen to point out that Sid is £300. So he mentioned it a couple of times, and then he just shouts it randomly. It's like he's got three hundred pound Tourette's. Like, three hundred pounds, and Zabisco's just like, uh, he's, he's a big man. He's a big man. And I th- like this is exactly as you expect. I had no idea who Van Hammer is. He was one of the misfits in action we had from Slambury two thousand. Yeah, in the bad camo. Ah, bad camo. They should have called him bad camo. <laughs> <laughs> Heavy metal Van Hammer, they call him. Yeah. And his music's not very heavy. 
Well, what, what I was finding strange about this, so I, I understand that when Van Hammer was introduced, he had a guitar and would come down with a guitar as if he was kind of like Slash or something from, from Guns N' Roses. <laughs> and um, But he couldn't play guitar at all, apparently. Uh-huh. And so it was just a ridiculous gimmick. And now, of course, we've got Max Payne, who mm. clearly can play guitar because he starts the whole show with his lovely guitar solo and would then turn up in WWF as Man Mountain Rock, who also carried a guitar with the WWF sign as the, the guitar. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, whoever's got that, they're oh, lucky. <laughs> I'd kill for that. I didn't even play the guitar, but I'd yeah. learn just so I could play that. Mm. I, you don't need to learn. As long as you have it, you, you look cool as fuck. Obviously, this is Sid, pot noodle hair, against Van Hammer, super noodle hair, do you reckon? No, 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 no. we've had super noodle hair already. That's why I didn't uh. do that. I put, I put linguine. <laughs> we're, going, we're going away from noodles into pasta. At this That's point. a great show. I actually ate some linguine yesterday, and I did think of Van Hammer when I was eating it, so it bloody fits. <laughs> Tom, any thoughts on this one? Um, no, that was it. Linguine hair was my note. Um, the yeah, everything that we've said already. It's it's like you've said before, taking with these things. It's not a match. It's a it's an angle. It's a return. He just does the power bomb is pretty fucking impressive though, because Van Hammer's mm. a big lad as well um so fair play to both of them it's a pretty cool looking powerbomb but that's 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 about it really everything that happens has been described i do find it i do find it interesting how sid was no matter what time or era he debuts somewhere he's always massively over Mm. always because he's so because he was so because i think he actually is like proper mental in real life he just always comes across as really unique and different and no one else had a gimmick like him and he is always yeah always is like a big name drawing yeah it's just a shame that you know then he generally has a match and you're like oh yeah yeah that is it he's just not a not a good wrestler but he always looks phenomenal he's always in great shape he's massive so that helps and then yeah, he's got this really believable character that you like, as you say, I don't even know. He probably is a nutter because you just don't know. Like he, he's so good at playing it that you really buy into it. But then, yeah, he's a match and then it's all it's all downhill <laughs> from there. Next up, we have um, another one of these side of the arena type segments where Eric Bischoff talks to Red Bastine and Bugsy McGraw. Um, they talk about Sid being awesome. Uh, Bugsy says hello to his mum and dad and tells Bischoff, to your point, old man, that he yes. has too much makeup on. Uh, any thoughts on this little bit? Oh, Bugsy's definitely half cut, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's been, <laughs> that's he's what been, I had. Yeah, he's definitely a bit half cut. He's he's like mucking around. He's like he's. Is it, I can't remember if it's this promo as well. But someone keeps keeps like obsessing me trying to take some fluff off of Eric Bischoff's jacket. And like, yeah. was, I don't think it is this one to be fair. But he's yeah, yeah he's definitely he's definitely a bit half cut. He's had a liquid lunch for sure. The other note I had, apart from Bugsy, is a bit pissed. I reckon is that red has tiny hands, terrifyingly small hands. I like, don't know much I don't know much about Red Bastine in his small hands. But Bugsy well, McGraw, I've seen quite a bit of. Um he was working for World Class Championship Wrestling in the early eighties and I watched quite a few of his matches and seen a lot of his promos. And he begins as a heel, but they turned him babyface. And he kind of plays this kind of clown type character who actually acts very very similar to the way he acts in this promo so he's basically all over the place saying weird things like just doing odd things all of the time so i'm not sure he is half cut i just think this is him playing his character it's difficult isn't it because i kind of had this like through these little segments i did wonder are these people like in their characters and i just don't know because i don't know anything about boxy mcgraw <laughs> well in fairness red, red bastard no <laughs> don't want him <laughs> as i said don't know anything about red bastard but in fairness to bugsy mcgraw uh when he was the main because he effectively for a 
few months was the main babyface in world class, other than the Von Eriks, obviously. He wasn't like there's lots of people who I've spoken to since who said that they hated world class when he was one of the main baby faces because he was just silly he was just a silly character and he preceded the freebirds coming in so it was just before the freebirds came in that he was kind of the main baby face and uh, i don't think he survived much longer after that in terms of as a top top star for world class but you know he was just doing the rounds like anybody to be fair i'm not surprised because as tommy pointed out pissed all the time So then we have the first of three Legends match. Are you ready for this, boys? Are you ready? Right. The first one is a six-man tag match, and it features Dirty Dick Murdoch, Don Morocco, and Jimmy Snooker against Wahoo McDaniel, Black Jack Mulligan, and Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. We just, sorry, we can't gloss him with Dirty Dick, can we? <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, I know it was a different time. And Dick, you know, there was, was a name rather than a phallic word. But my God, <laughs> Dirty Dick. When they keep referring to Dirty Dick, I, oh, I was loving it. <laughs> I knew you'd find some value in this stuff. This one lasts nine minutes and ends when Snooker misses a diving headbutt. Then he misses Brunzel with a, a chop and hits Morocco instead. The match breaks down and ends in a no contest where the referee cannot get control back. Tom. Blackjack is still, Blackjack Mulligan is still so over when he gets in the ring. It's ridiculous. Everyone's so popular. Everyone's loving him. Wahoo McDaniel has got one of the great shiny bold spots in the history of wrestling. (laughs) It's tremendous. And I will say, fair play to these fucking old bastards because, Jesus Christ, they they do put in a shift despite the fact that the match in itself is pretty grim. My favourite bit in the entire match here is after the the end of the match, Jimmy Snooker takes a massively unnecessary bump at the end of the match and just throws himself out of the ring for no (laughs) discernible reason onto the floor. I don't know why he does it. And the commentators say he hits the table with his head. Because he's literally, he's not even thrown into the ropes. No. He runs and then just... <laughs> I don't remember that at all. I didn't see that yeah. at all. Oh, you know tremendous. what I reckon he was doing? He was probably trying to run from the cops after he killed that lady. That's what he's probably <laughs> doing. Uh, you said this is nine minutes, Tinky. Yeah. I privilege this with, as Tommy said, a lot of respect for these guys because they're like... The oldest guy in this match is Wahoo Madan, who's 54. It's a very different 54 to a 20, 21, 54-year-old former wrestler i think yeah so there's a they're, they're not snooker looks like he's been on the fucking juice obviously they put a shitter but this was a long nine minutes this was listening to an old racist in a pub ju- who you just happen to say hello to and they start going on about stuff you don't want to hear about that's kind of how i felt when i was watching this i didn't want to watch it because it was very uncomfortable but then murdoch does the leg scissor thing mm. he gets his dirty and then he does say uh then he covers old Jim Brunzel. He gets his dirty dick right in his face because he basically 69s him. I was like, what are you doing to Jim Brunzel? He's a Christian man, a Christian man, and he's trying to do that to him. Um, this was, to be brutally honest, this was absolutely horrible. I did not enjoy this. The only thing that I enjoyed about it, apart from Snooker almost killing himself at the end, is Jim Brunzel's pants are incredible. They look like Marty McFly's hat from the future. Oh! Yes! That's, That's a great shout. Yeah. And uh, the fact that Sabisco says, you know what, Tony? These legends don't care. They don't care about WCW. Anything could happen. And I thought, you know what? That's actually a very good bit of commentary because it didn't heighten my interest. But it did make me think of it as actually, you know what? Yeah, they don't. It's not 
anything that's going to progress the storyline or anything like that. And I thought, oh, you know what? Well done, Laz. You've kind of got me on board. And then the match happened and then I wanted to crawl into a corner and cry because I knew there were two other Legend matches coming. And then I did. Um, I didn't mind this. I thought this was about... I mean, this was as good as it got from the Legends as far as I was <laughs> concerned. Um, I thought it was okay. It was perfectly reasonable. Dick Murdoch's little... Um, uh, <laughs> head scissors takedown was what i was going for was pretty cool i thought they, the, the, the fans popped for that what i was disappointed with though to your point earlier about whether these people were in character or not and whether where and what character they were portraying because obviously if you're retired you could go back to either the character you're portraying at the end of your career or the character you're portraying at the height of your career and at this point i was like well we've got snooker and morocco who famously wrestled in a cage match back in WWF in the early 80s, and they're on the same team. And they do have a little bit of when Snooker misses his chop and hits Morocco, that almost leads to an argument. I just felt that should have been really, for me, the main basis of the end of the match. And then we could have had something afterwards where Snooker kind of, because he was on the what is considered the heel team, I suppose, with Morocco and Murdoch. You could have had a little bit where he kind of just turned babyface almost at the end and, and kind of had a little bit of a fight with Morocco. Morocco, meanwhile... Is looking in absolutely dreadful shape. He's massive. Yeah. He's just massive all of a sudden. Obviously, he was always big, but that was because he had inflated uh, muscle mass. Um, but here, he's just he's just got a really big gut, and he just doesn't look good. Um, you you do feel for him having to continue to wrestle at this point. I think he's he's put an absolute shift in to get that gut in the size that has, hasn't he? He's he's fucking knows his way around a buffet. Dick, <laughs> Dick Murdoch, meanwhile, has got the smallest legs. Yes, <laughs> in the world. I'm glad you mentioned that. I wrote that down and I completely forgot to mention it. No knee pads either. Uh, maybe that's why they look so much. Do you reckon his dirty dick was thicker than his little skinny legs? <laughs> As you say, uh, proportionally, they're normal, but it's the dirty dick so massive that it's whoa, little twiglet legs. There's a thing in um, Red Dwarf where uh, Rimmer compares Lister to a frog when he's kind of being yeah. hung. And the frog's being hung, like from his, from his arms, and they've got like... they. They're hanging down. He's got big gut and like small little legs. That's what Dick Murdoch reminded me of here. <laughs> then we have Missy Hyatt on the podium with the assassin and Mad Dog Vashan. I'm assuming that we're going to get some Mad Dog Vashan's voice is gravelly comments in just a moment. <laughs> um, Vashan says he regrets not being in the ring himself as he would love to teach them all how to wrestle. Assassin then challenges Dusty Rhodes to a match any place, any time. I mean, fuck me. Yeah, you're right, Tinky, about the gravel. He makes Harley Race's voice sound perfectly clear and angelic. <laughs> but what did make me laugh is how, and my wife points out, she happened to walk into him, she's like, that guy's head is massive, referring to the assassin. His mask barely fits on. It'd be like <laughs> me trying to get into a T-shirt that I wore when I was 14. Like, it is absolutely unbelievable. His nose is, like, squished right into his face. He's, like, sweating his pale. His neck is, like, falling out of the sides. It's like he's literally put, like, a sock on his head. <laughs> and he challenges someone to a match. Yeah, Dusty Rhodes. It's like, really? Like Tom said, like, the match was putting the mask on. You've won that one, just. You, you've I, it, it's probably gone to a time limit draw, to be fair. But, <laughs> <laughs> the main thing I had from this is that Mad Dog Vachon, I mean, we saw him get inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. I think it would be fair to say that his mental faculties weren't all present, I think it's fair to say, at this point. So he, he's obviously having some, um, some degenerative brain issues, I think that would be fair to say. And he... Uh, 
he was quite bitter as well, I remember. He didn't speak for very long, but this comes across here as well. And he makes he made me uncomfortable and he makes Missy Hyatt look so uncomfortable that I was and then he starts talking and she tries to get away from him and then he grabs the mic and he's I don't don't know what he says because I was distracted by the assassin. And his mask. So we have next up the Tag Team Legends match, and it features oh. Ivan Koloff and Baron Von Raschke against Thunderbolt Patterson and originally scheduled to be Bullet Bob Armstrong. However, it is revealed that Bullet Bob Armstrong isn't going to be there because he's got some kind of knee injury. Um, and then Koloff and Raschke get on the microphone and start to badmouth the Armstrong family, which brings out Bullet Bob's son, Brad Armstrong, who was obviously a WCW wrestler at the time, and he joins Thunderbolt Park Patterson for the tag team match. It goes for four and a half minutes and ends when Thunderbolt Patterson pins Baron Von Raschke after a double throat chop. Um, Who wants to start here? I'll go. The highlights. Let's get through the highlights. So Koloff, 103 kilos. Lovely old job. Always love when when they do that because he's obviously noted from being in the Soviet Union. But Baron Von Raschke, who is noted as being from Germany, gets his in pounds, which disappointed me. I was like, come on, let's have a, bit, a little bit of European consistency, please. Um, Thunderbolt Patterson gets an incredible pop. I've no idea who he is or what, but the crowd are absolutely fucking loving him. And to be fair, it made me love him as well. Bloody hell. Four and a half minutes felt like a month. I'll be honest, this was this was really tough. This was hard going. And I think because we're now in an... It, unfortunately continues we're in this run now so we've we've basically we've had the squash from sid right and bugsy having a little chat right with his tiny hands uh dirty dick 69 and someone mad dog being a nut job and this tag match and it's all it's all a bit much at this moment and this moment for me to be honest it's all a bit slow paced it's all a bit painful to watch and i didn't like it and i also um i was a bit concerned for baron or barry von rasky because he looks absolutely fucked like he might kill over he doesn't to my knowledge anyway he might have backstage but yeah tough going relieved when it was finished because i thought two out of three done happy days boys tom it's not very good how many of these fucking armstrongs are there loads and loads loads that you don't like yeah there's (laughs) bloody loads of them um what i found quite amusing there's one bit i did like when when it came down is that when he came down old uh brad armstrong comes down he says that he's going to take his place in the match and thunderbolt was like take your shirt off and he's like yeah, yeah. Right. and he goes take your shirt off and he starts demanding that he takes his shirt off which got quite funny that old pat thunderbolt patterson it might just me be me drawing lazy comparison but is he like a kind of like a shitter version of junkyard dog um, they, this is what I really noticed them talking about because they were talking about um, Koloff versus Bruno Sammartino <laughs> or as it says in my notes Sam Martin um, wrestling at the Garden which I'm sure would have been oh, Sam Martin Sam yeah, Martin was a proper uh, big star in the uh, 1960s mate Sam yeah. Martin oh. um, uh, but then they started talking about the claw and has there ever been a less impressive move in wrestling than the claw <laughs> um, hey the claw was a big was a big move not just for baron von raschke but also for uh old fritz von, von eric, eric so eric, yeah but it's shit in there and the other thing is well you said um he wins after after raschke gets a, a, ch- a double chop to the throat i'd say it's more like a tender push <laughs> well i'm just i'm just calling it as i see it tom that's all <laughs> but yeah no it was shit 
So I think Patterson was a, I don't think he was a, a kind of shitter, shitter version of Junkyard Dog. I mean, I think he, he predated the Junkyard Dog, in fairness mm. to him. But the the this is really kind of one bit that I found quite interesting. As you, as you said, Patterson's really over. And that is largely because he made his name or was one of the bigger names in Georgia Championship Wrestling, which was part of the NWA. But we are in Atlanta, Georgia here. So this is where the regional aspect of these legends comes into play. And it comes into play again in the next match as well, where basically Thunderbolt Patterson is massively over, basically because of the locality they're in, probably wouldn't be over anywhere else in the country because he's not that well known outside of that area. So I think that really plays into this. And yeah, it's, I didn't mind it again for four and a half minutes. It wasn't too bad. And we had some fun in there. It's a good thing. This was actually uh, Thunderbolt Patterson's last match. He retired after this match. Wow. I, I can't blame him. This is probably as good as he could <laughs> possibly hope for after this point. Yeah. So the next thing we get on the show is a Flair for the Gold segment oh. with host Rick Flair, complete with full talk show set. Mm. Flair then brings out Fifi, his valet of the time, and then introduces Arn Anderson as the man who will be the next NWA world champion. Anderson says that Barry Windham has been ducking his challenges, but tonight he will become the champion. Fair then says that there is some bad news, and that is that Tully Blanchard isn't going to show up for the segment, and he thinks that's because Barry Windham's got in his ear. He then introduces Ole Anderson. Ole says you can't trust Windham. So not very much not liking Barry Windham at this point. Mm. Um, then finally, Flair introduces the newest member of the four ho- horsemen. It's Pretty Paul Roma. Roma says that there are thousands of wrestlers to choose from, and Flair chose him. Flair tells, then tells Austin and Pillman that they better watch out because the horsemen are back. So I've got a couple of notes on this. For a start, the talk show set and the titles are amazing. I loved it. I thought it was so fun. Um, I love the fact that it kind of like pans in as well, so you can see it in the arena. So that was quite a nice touch. So Rick picks up the, uh, the the reformation of Horseman. I don't know if this, this if you guys noticed this, but someone says hi, John, out of nowhere, <laughs> yeah. really loudly. It's like obviously yeah. someone's left a microphone on somewhere, and he goes hi, John, and, that, and then it just cuts off again. It's really weird. We'll come back into this later. But on Anderson's tan. Is absolutely incredible. A hell of a tan. Great job by him. Which is accentuated later on in this match by the fact that he's wearing white tights as well, <laughs> which makes it look even more tan. Then Ole Anderson turns up, and you're right, he does talk about it, but his microphone's really muffled. He's like Bane in the Dark Knight Rises. He's like, he's like, <laughs> and I was like, all right. And then Paul Roma turns up, and the crowd seem about as underwhelmed as I am. It's got to be the shittest member of the Four Horsemen in history. It's got to be, apart from well, maybe Stephen Michael. Maybe we'll give him a run for his money. But fuck me, it's you can say it's safe to say it's not a vintage Four Horsemen, is it? I thought this was a big old bag of dicks and dirty <laughs> dicks as well. I thought this was absolute crap. I'll be honest. When this started, as Tommy said, everything is great. They got you got. You got some honeys on the sofa. <laughs> you got you got the camera panning in the lovely little sequence like as it starts, and I'm like, this is going to be absolutely great. And the highlight was someone saying hi, John. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, mate. This is Jenny. I mentioned this that I think he's overrated. I haven't really watched any Flair. I've seen like clips of promos that he's done, and obviously he did that. Oh, Geller, you got me, old Geller, before his match with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 24. But I think Ric Flair's a bit crap. I don't think he's very good on the mic. I think he's quite annoying. But 
Paul Romer has got about as much charisma as a lamp that is just opposite me, just <laughs> to the right of my monitor. I mean, I don't even know who Paul Romer is, to be honest with you. All I know is that he's named after an Italian football club, which seems a stupid way to go. And he should have been Paul Sassuolo. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just found this really disappointing. Paul, Paul Romer was the one that he was a uh, glory out of power and glory who put his arm up at the wrong time at WrestleMania 7. <laughs> with Hercules. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Yeah, I agree with old man. I thought this was really dull. Um, I was quite, my, I was quite interested in when we saw the whole talk show set, and I was like, oh, this, this, this looks quite, this looks quite fun. And then it wasn't fun. It was really, really boring. And just, I, I, to be honest, the whole thing, like Paul Roma, massively underwhelming. Flair, I just find always massively underwhelming. Like everyone, everyone always talks about how great he was. And I'm so, I'm not someone who hasn't gone back and watched historic lots of matches, like from the past, from the, from an age well before I was ever into wrestling. And I've watched kind of, I've watched loads of Bruno Sammartino matches, which I really like. And Flair always underwhelms me. And I don't know, I don't know why it is that just, he just never matches up to what people tell me he is really great at. And ditto Warren Anderson. I just, I just find him really uninteresting. Like I just find his whole presentation and who he is just really dull. I just do not see, I, I mean, great. He's technically very proficient. I just find him boring. I find him uninspiring as a, as a, a person I'm supposed to like invest myself in. Interesting, old man, that you saw that the honeys were in the in the background here. Um, yeah. Obviously, the uh, the late '90s girl group uh, who sang "Finally Found What I've Been Looking For." Um, didn't realise they were there, but it's great to see them. Then we, uh, on in terms of who John is. So John is Johnny Valentine, who um, who joins Tony Schiavone yes. and Larry Zabisco at commentary for the next match. So obviously it's one of the commentators who hasn't turned their mic off saying hello to John. Yeah. Probably they aren't in charge of turning their mic off. It's probably the producer who's supposed to do that or the director or whoever. Um, so it's probably their fault. Uh, they're obviously welcoming Johnny Valentine to the commentary booth for the match between Nick Bockwinkle and Dory Funk Jr., which is the next contest. Before we get to that, though, we have an advert for Beach Blast, which is the next WWE pay-per-view. Yeah, and what's really weird about this is that they're like, OK, well, now we've got an advert coming up for Beach Blast, and it's just a graphic on the screen that says Beach Blast <laughs> next month. It's yeah. like really, I don't think they needed to announce it. The thing I enjoyed about the, um, the Beach Blast thing is that I've never seen this before, but it's a wave like crashing in on itself, but it's done like a bicep. So the end of the wave is a fist i thought that's tremendous tremendous so, muscly scene i bloody love a muscly ocean it's in all oh, these yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow i was i was just i was just thinking i think we'll plow through into the next match before we go to a break but to be honest i don't think we're going to top that until afterwards <laughs> so let's just let's just have a little break there and we'll be back in just a moment Everyone enjoyed Two Chord Scorpio's music. Yes. Oh, yeah. 
okay welcome back so next we're into the final of our trio of legends match and this one is dory funk jr versus nick bockwinkle it is as we are told the nwa versus the awa and um, nick bockwinkle has got with him uh, Vern gagne while dory funk jr is accompanied by gene kiniski uh, these two go for 15 minutes to a time limit draw Tom, why don't you get us? Uh, why don't you get us? <laughs> so it starts off. They they note that it's got a 15 minute time limit. I'm thinking I haven't noticed them saying this before, but I already had a little bit of a. Mm. The match feels long from about a minute in. It feels like it's very slow. Very, and I don't know if these were the type of type of matches these these lads would have had back in the day. So there may be. I mean, fair fucks to these two old bastards, because Jesus Christ, they go, they they put in a hell of a shift, but my God, it's boring. And then mm. you get the, there is 10 minutes remaining, and you're thinking, fuck, this is going the whole hog, isn't it? This is, this is going the whole 15 minutes. And it goes to a 15-minute time limit draw, and it feels like it's about three days worth of wrestling. <laughs> it's so fucking long. And, yeah. oh, my God, I just, sorry, lad, sorry, Dory. And Nick and Vernon Jean on the outside. You try your best, but mm. it's so boring. We start off hot with Johnny Valentine, who, with the greatest respect, probably a lovely guy, not very charismatic. I think that's putting it mildly. It's kind of like they've they've put like a, a house plant on co-commentary, to be honest. But so I like Tom. I kind of like when they're like, oh, it's AWA versus NWA, and I'm like, oh, I think this is gonna. <laughs> I said, oh no, this is going to go the distance. But I didn't hear the time limit. So I was like, oh, how are they going to finish it? And then old Johnny Val says, no one's going to lie down. And I'm like, you ain't wrong, Johnny V. And he says this about 14 seconds into the match. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, bollocks. So here we go. This is what, this is my little summary. It's very slow, full of holes, and they get absolutely knackered. Through no fault of their own, they work their socks off. And the last few minutes is good stuff, because it is good stuff as well. Especially the incredibly slow backslide attempt, which is absolutely incredible. And to be fair, the crowd stick with it as well, to their credit, because they've been served up about 45 minutes of absolute dirt to this point. The main problem with this match is where it is on the card, is that you've just had a load of crap, to be honest with you. You, this is the third Legends match. Before that, it was a squash. And then before that, you had a really good tag match. It was not good, painful stuff. And I was actually quite sad watching it. Because as Tommy said, these guys work their bloody socks off. And it's a credit to them that they go 15 minutes. And that's obviously why it's slow as well. Because it's two doddery old farts. Really tough watching. So in terms of That's their ages, they're probably not quite as old as you think. They look well, older than they, they, they are at this point. So Dory Funk Jr. is 53. Yeah. And um, Nick Bockwinkle is 58. Um, so he's nearly 60, in fairness, to Bockwinkle. Mm. So he's pretty old. Very yeah. old to be in a wrestling ring, but maybe not as For old 15 as... 15 minutes. Yeah, maybe not quite as old as you imagine. And um, so I thought I'd start with that. I agree with you that this is so boring. Like, so boring. And as I said to you before, I am not someone who hasn't gone back and watched some really old stuff. I watched an hour long time limit draw between Bob Backlund and Greg the Hammer Valentine from 1980, not long ago. 
and was fine with it. I thought it was a really good match. This is, is not a case question of someone who doesn't understand or doesn't kind of is watching wrestling in a different way than it used to be um, performed. But these two guys are just too old. They're so well, so far past their best. It's untrue. To your point, oh man, about the crowd, I didn't think they did stay with it. I thought they were completely silent through this um, to the point where I'm not surprised, though, because, again, this is where I relate back to the Thunderbolt Patterson thing, whereas he was kind of like a regional star within Atlanta. I don't know about Dory Funk Jr. because he was an NWA guy, but Nick Bockwinkle, as an AWA guy, would have very rarely wrestled in Georgia in his entire career, possibly not any at any point during the last 20 years of his career, because he was pretty much exclusively the AWA's main heel throughout the entire time. And so it would not surprise me if this crowd had no historical context for Nick Bockwinkle and who he was. Add to that the fact that actually there are a lot of children in the crowd. So they haven't got a fucking clue who these old blokes are and they don't care. Like there's a there's a young girl they show in the crowd with like face paint at one point. And you're like, she is going to be absolutely bored to tears by the last 40 minutes of this show, which has included three matches, the flair for the gold segment, the talk to the various different people that we've had um, talking. And so I don't blame them for not being interested in this. On top of all that also is it doesn't even have good kind of context in terms of if you do know who these people are, because Nick Bockwinkle and Vern Gagne were effectively enemies for their entire time in AWA. So why is he with him? Like I just, again, that's a very small point, but if you're trying to appeal to people Mm. who watched the AWA back in the day, then that doesn't even make sense either. So the whole thing for me just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. It's rubbish. It's boring. And, and to be honest, completely took the wind out of myself. Well, after watching this, I was just like, Oh, the, the two other legends matches, while not of particularly high quality, are relatively short, we're quite we're okay they were fine they 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 flew by they weren't too bad and we'd had the early attack match and we had the in- reintroduction of Sid and I thought all oh, this is fine then they had this and I was uh, I just it completely knocked the stuffing out of me now it's something I wanted to talk about because old man briefly mentioned the placing of this on the on the card the fact that you've got these these three legends matches back to back and I'm trying to think if I would rather have them because at least like all together because at least then they're out of the way rather than having them sprinkled through the card. So I think, because without wanting to, you know, put the, put the cart before the horse, I quite enjoyed the rest of the card. Um, and I don't know if that was because this was so shit that anything would have been better than that. But enjoy, uh, but I think I enjoyed it because I knew it was done and out of the way. Whereas I wonder if I knew these matches were coming up and they were going to be sprinkled between the rest of the matches... I wouldn't have enjoyed the other matches as much because I'd have been like in the back of my head, I'd been like, oh, fuck me, I've got to watch this later. I think I would have preferred them to be sprinkled through the show, personally. I think maybe if you just started with a six-man tag, like started with that match, then come back and had the, the Chris Benoit, two-goal Scorpio tag match, then add the, the tag team legends match, then add the Sid reintroduction, really fast, kind of, you know, surprise return, and then had this get them out of the show out of the way of the show early but you also kind of intersperse them and to be honest from my personal taste i was less worried about them being together because as i say i don't think the other two the two tag matches were too bad it's just that this was so long and boring that it just affected everything else i could possibly get from the show and i i i gotta be honest i struggled to recover once i saw this match through to the end i really struggled to recover it really affected my ability to watch the rest of the show this particular match I wasn't going to say that, but when Tommy said that he enjoyed the rest of the show, I 
I felt like I'd I felt like I'd run a marathon and then someone had said, Can you go shopping? So you've got to walk to the shops. That's what I felt like after watching this match. But then we get Bischoff having a little gab with Lou Fez and someone called Gigli or Giggly or whatever. Oh or, or Bobby G and uh, they're two absolute pros. And I was like, you know what, actually maybe they've maybe they've saved the best. <laughs> so yes, Eric Bischoff then interviews Luthers and Bob Geigel, and they talk about the previous match and what a Titanic collision it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then we have another tag team match: uh, Rick Rude and Paul Orndorff against Dustin Rhodes and Kensuke Sasaki. A nine and a half minute match, which ends when Orndorff pushes Sasaki off the top rope, and Rude capitalizes with a Rude Awakening for the pin. Uh, Tom, why didn't you tell us about this one? Again, Rick Rude's WCW music is amazing. Mm-hmm. It is so good. Again, end of the episode, Tinky. Get that in there. Let them know. They, <laughs> these are my two. These are my two favorite WCW entrance musics. They're absolutely amazing. Um, Rick Rude's got his belt on over the rope. Very strong look. Uh, I don't yeah. think I've seen that before, which I enjoyed. You're literally using it as a belt. So not only does it look great, but it's functional. So <laughs> that's great. I like the fact that uh, they keep. Referring to Mr. Wonderful as Mr. Blunderful, Paul Orndorff. Yeah. Dustin Rhodes can fuck off. I've got no time for him at all, as discussed in on the previous pay-per-views until he becomes gold dust. And why do I know Kensuke Sasaki? What do I know him from? The, I don't know where you know him from. The only thing that is notable, the main thing that's notable about him is that at this point in time, he was teaming with Hawk as one half of the, mm. I think they're called the Hellraisers in New Japan, whilst Animal was out injured with his back. Yes, I can. I've seen him in something, but I don't know. I may have. Did he wrestle in ECW at any point? Do you think? I don't think I don't so. Know. I don't know. There's something I recognise him. Uh, you know what I'm going to talk about, don't you? I think so. It's the thing that woke me out of my slumber. There is a tremendous sell of an atomic drop yeah. by Rick Rude <laughs> in this. It is amazing because <laughs> he probably he's on his tiptoes and he's like he's like, fuck her now. It is ah, oh, it is wonderful. <laughs> I, it, there's, I cannot tell you guys how much it cheers me up whenever I watch a Rick Rude match and he gets atomic trucked because it is the greatest thing in the history of professional wrestling. I don't care what anybody says. There's mm. nothing more magical. And that's the highlight of the match. I did quite like it at the beginning of it when Rick Rude's walking around uh, Kensuke Sasaki and he's just slagging him off. He's just like laying yeah. in, so he walks around and he's like, look at the state of you. And then um, at this point, again, my wife walked into the room and she said, why has that man got uh, Freddie Mercury on his tights? <laughs> Which is obviously a spray-painted picture of Rick Reed's face on his own tights. But uh, yeah, she thought it looked like Freddie Mercury. But I've got many notes on that because I got so excited by the atomic drop that I just, um, it all wiped everything else out. From the, atomic, the atomic drop is what got me kind of briefly back into the show. I, and it happens about six six seven minutes into the match mm. and i was just so bored still recovering from what we'd just seen and then that happened i was like, oh thank goodness for that some 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 relief from everything because <laughs> rick rude you're absolutely right sells this atomic drop better i think it might be his best ever sell of an atomic drop it's phenomenal there's another one again i've seen it on the twitter account which is rick rude selling atomic drops where he gets he gets atomic drop he gets the back atomic drop and he's selling it, and he turns around, and then he gets a front atomic drop, <laughs> and that's the best one because okay. it's amazing. But it is bloody good this one. Yeah. Oh man. You're a bit, that's a bit class. You're a great rude. Like he comes down, calls the crowd inner city sweat hogs, which I mm. bloody loved. 
And uh, there's a bit where he, uh, where he takes off his robe. There's a guy in the crowd who lifts his top up, does a little dance. And then I'm like, this, this is tremendous. He's wearing white denim shorts as well, which is darling fucking strong look, a big strong look. I'd be honest, I didn't really like this. I think it was a bit of a mess, to be honest. I didn't think it was a particularly good match. The pin is horrendous. Like, uh, Sasaki gets pinned, and he's kicking out every second of the three. And they show it on the replay, shoulders are up. Lovely old job, still counting it down. Zabisco, as we've had on other things, kind of alludes to the fact that Sasaki doesn't understand what Dustin Rhodes is saying. And like, that's kind of why they struggle and maybe why they lose the match. Which kind of makes sense, but bloody cheap. And also, Dust- Dustin Rhodes isn't very good, to be honest, I don't think, in this match. Doesn't look in very good shape. But the worst thing about him is his disgusting little mullet. It's disgusting. It's got to be half an inch to an inch. Just flapping around. Uh, horrible. It's not It's uh, not Ventura, though, is it? It's not... No, but it's almost worse because it's almost like he's hiding it. It's almost like he's embarrassed <laughs> about this, whereas Ventura owned it. Tom, I need a judgment on this because we have the world championship currently of worst mullets and Ventura is definitely in the lead. So what's going on here? Well, see, I, it's pretty grim. It's pretty grim. I'm not going to I'm not going to play. I think Jesse Ventura and Todd Pettengills and <laughs> even even Hawk's little flappy mullet. Are worse. <laughs> oh, man's gone. <laughs> Completely forgotten about. <laughs> yeah, they—they they in my opinion, they are all worse than that. They—they're all worse. Dust, Dustin Rhodes is pretty grim. Dustin Rhodes, it looks like someone's just put like, like he's bald and someone's just smeared cottage cheese all over his head, <laughs> and they're run down the back, and that's what it looks like. It's really <laughs> grim. I think it's still there's still a couple of considerables, and the thing, the worst thing. The worst thing about um, Todd Pettingills, I think, is that he's got no excuse because he's not even in the ring performer. He doesn't need the, 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 the kind of flappy mullet to distinguish himself. He doesn't need it. He's got the waistcoat to do that for him. Mind you, Ventura's not in the ring either by the time he has his, so... No, but different mentality. He was a wrestler, wasn't he? <laughs> I see. I so see. He's... Fair enough. Um, I didn't think this was much of anything, to be honest. I didn't think anyone really stood out. I didn't think it was bad, but it just... I think I was just so... I was destroyed by the 15-minute the, by yeah. the match that we just had before. And I genuinely... It, I don't think I recovered until very much later in the show. Like, I was just... It just really knocked me for six. And I was... This is the first... This is the most, I should say, that I have struggled through a show up to this point that we've done was because of that match. And it really made me struggle after that point. We then had um, Gordon Soley standing in the ring to present the first WCW Legends Hall of Fame induction. Soley says that there are many legends who have passed away and names um, Buddy Rogers, Andre the Giant, Dick the Bruiser and Pat O'Connor and possibly one or two others. But I was struggling to write it all down in time as he was talking. He then asks for a moment of silence. And I would charitably said that he got maybe half a moment of silence. <laughs> um, it certainly wasn't sustained in any way whatsoever. It was just probably kind of a little blip of silence. Mm-hmm. And he said, thank you. Because I think he realised he wasn't going to get it uh, from this ridiculously, a uh, probably bored crowd. In fairness to them, yeah. We then had four inductees. They were Luthez, Vern Gagne, Mr. Wrestling Two, and Eddie Graham, who was no longer with us uh, by this point, and so his son Mike Graham uh, was the one who collected his uh, Hall of Fame induction. Any thoughts on the Hall of Fame induction here? Shit, that's what I would say. 
Gordon Soley is not very good. Just not very good. Like, I know JR bloody probably tried to suck him off at some point in his life. But he's his um I can understand how as a commentator his delivery would work, but as a presenter, it's very boring. Very, I I was bored anyway, to be honest. A bit like you've alluded to, Tinky. I was having a hard time here. I was having a bloody hard time. I felt I felt like I was going through something. Luthes goes in, lovely old job. Very Kanye, lovely. Mr. Wrestling Two is my new favourite. He just seems like such a lovely man. So I enjoyed that. Obviously, Mike Graham turns up. It's a bit disappointed, Tommy, because he he don't do the double weave. <laughs> yeah. And that was, uh, to be honest, that got me through. But it's boring. Why is everything so boring? <laughs> I think we need a moratorium on the word boring, because otherwise we're going to convince people that our show is boring, too. So no more yeah. saying the word. <laughs> All right. So why is this show pretty much from the end of the end of the sting, um, not sting, uh, Sid squash up to this point. Why is it so one paced and incredibly tedious? Who thought this was a good idea? I'm gonna just not defend them, but try and maybe don't play devil's advocate, you silly sod. You know, I'm right. No, it's not, it's not playing devil's advocate, it's more about trying to understand where we're watching it from a different perspective than people watching it at the time. And I agree that actually the perspective we're watching is probably still more in line with most of the people watching it at the time. But there is a sense that this is not long after the end of the AWA. So the AWA collapsed in about 1990. It's not long after the end, after WCW came into existence, um, after Ted Turner bought Jim Crockett promotions. It's not as removed time-wise as we are now from the territory's age. It's just a cl- in, cl- in terms of proximity, it's just so much closer to these wrestlers in terms of their importance to the business. You, I think you even get a, a sample of it again when Mr. Wrestling 2 comes in and the, the fans are chanting two, 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 which is what he what used to happen when he would come to the ring. Like, you know, and this is not me criticizing you guys, but you don't know who Mr. Wrestling 2 is beyond this oh, show. I mean, hey, hey, come on. I've, I've been a fan of Mr. Wrestling <laughs> since I watched this show yesterday. <laughs> I'm, a fucking, I'm a staunch supporter. <laughs> He's, he's one of the biggest Mr. Wrestling 2 guys in the business today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that may be true, but all the same, like, that's my point, is that we, you know, we're, so we're coming at it from such a distance that these people don't mean anything to us. Now, I'm not saying they meant loads to the people who were watching then, but they would have meant more than they do to us. So that may be the mitigating kind of excuse for them. But I agree that the, it's not well paced, it's not well plotted out, and they could have, they just needed to stretch all this all this legend stuff across the show. But I, the other thing that I think about it, I, I quite like the idea of it, but the execution's so bad. It's nice to, to give these these old boys the you know the moment in the sun to maybe introduce them to a new audience or to remind people that may have forgotten about them or taken them for granted. But it's just so badly done. And it's encapsulated by the fact that at their whole uh, of fame induction ceremonies, they get presented with really crap drawings of themselves. It's just shit. There's no ring there. It's just there you go. There's a picture my nephew drew. Enjoy. <laughs> it's strange as well because it's literally like a month or two or maybe three months after WWF inducted Andre the Giant into the WWF Hall of Fame. He was the first induction, of course. And um, it's almost as if this is a response, which is weird. It may not be, maybe completely coincidental. But it feels like there's a, almost like a battle for wrestling's history starting yeah. to begin here, where WCW are almost the 
I don't know, the owners of the history that was everything outside of WWF and WWF are kind of just trying to keep their own history to themselves almost. I, I do agree with what, you, what you've said about like, obviously like it is a different time, but if I was in the crowd, like what, who is, no, no. Like I'd just be so fed up. I think the other thing that this show shows us and also kind of we see from um, what we get in WWF now is that the the time difference feels so much starker so you imagine like Buckwinkle for example was a major star in AWA really right until the end of the AWA and so that would have only been like five six years ago before that he was headlining major AWA shows and yet and if you said that about somebody who was in a promotion a major promotion five or six years ago from today you'd be like oh wow that guy's shown up I know he's quite he's quite big he's quite a big deal the difference is is that even by this point people didn't really know who he was like in this crowd at least anyway i mean it's not an international he's not a, a not even a national star arguably because he was an awa star rather than uh, anything else and the same goes for the wwf i've always said this like imagine bruno sammartino for example arriving in the royal rumble as a surprise entrant in 1994 for example nearly 15 years after his last after his last sort of main event matches in the WWF. That doesn't, that feels ridiculous, the idea that, that could ever have happened. But then you think, well, hang on, in like 2021, there would have been, Bill Goldberg wrestled a match for the world title. And his, really, his last major match as a full time competitor was in sort of early 2000, or 2004. So 17 years ago. So it's so, the, the time difference is kind of we've just got a longer memory now than we did back then. So the the period before 1985, when the rest the first WrestleMania happened, almost anything from 84 feels like about 20 years before anything in 1985, just because of that distinction is really strange. And also we're older and wiser and we know exactly. what shit and this is shit. <laughs> Fuck off, oldies. Not interested. Get your bloody wet pants away from me. I think if they'd have done a kind of joint video package for these these guys beforehand, we might have been better off as well. Because they kind of get like a little bit of a few clips of them whilst they're being introduced. But I think if they'd have had like maybe a five minute video package showcasing each of the the people, we might have been better off. And a battle royal with, instead of all the matches. <laughs> maybe. But the problem is, is that it would have been, you would have got disqualified if you threw someone over the top rope. <laughs> so what would happen is that you'd have to try and get yourself over the top rope to eliminate the person that threw you over. You'd have to you'd have to hope everyone else tried to eliminate everybody else and got themselves disqualified and you just stood mm. in the middle of the ring not doing anything. Yeah. There's a story in that. <laughs> Reverse battle royal. Yeah. Next up, Missy Hyatt is with John Tollos and Lord Athol Layton. Um, oh, I'm so fucking bored of these interview segments with these old cunts I've never heard of. Never <laughs> my nuts in that. There's so many of them. Uh, Tolos, to, to, to old man's point about the professionalism, Tolos is very professional. He gets very mm. excited about the current crop of WCW stars, which is surely the fucking point in all this, isn't it? Is yeah. getting over the guys that are going to carry this forward, this company forward. Um, so he talks about how the, they're the, the wrestling's the number one sport in the world, and WCW in, in particular is the top dog. Which, you know, again, might be a a cheap pop, a cheap kind of kind of having a go at WWF. But at least he at least, as I said, at least he spoke to the fact that there's all these young guys that are actually, you know, are the future of this company and you need them to to carry it forward. I think Tom's given his thoughts on that segment. I don't know if old man, you've got anything else to add. Um, the first lad 
whose name I've forgotten. He's a bit lechy. The second lad, didn't know what he said, but then he gives Missy Hyatt a monocle. And Missy Hyatt does a tremendous classic American, well, Canadian doing a, uh, a British person impression, which I thoroughly enjoyed because it was a bit of fun. And I realised that apart from Rick Rude's atomic drop cell, there hadn't been any fun for a long time. And I think that was why I was kind of dying. And I thought, you know what? I'm fucking bouncing back. I'm showing bounce back ability. I'm in for the next match. And then the next match happens. Before we get there, I think you're right though, old man, about that, is that there's not enough fun in this mm. segment of legend stuff. Like there should just been more, they should have tried more humour because yeah. probably that's my biggest problem with Dory Funk Jr. versus Nick Bockwinkle is it's so ser- taken so seriously and yet they're not fighting for anything. The AWA doesn't exist. The NWA is basically on its knees. So there's no, nothing in that. They're not fighting for a title. They're not fighting for any kind of future anything. It doesn't mean anything. And they take it super seriously. It's just, no. Pointless. Just point, pointless. Put two pointless human beings. That's what you're saying, Tinky. So next up, we get Sting. And he is facing the prisoner. And then we find out that the prisoner is, of course nails from wwf fame and as as he comes to the ring there are immediately boss man chants thrown at the prisoner it goes for five minutes uh ends when sting hits a flying clothesline for the victory after nails tries to intimidate the referee and basically distracts himself (laughs) um old man your thoughts on this uh this one He's the prisoner. Why has he got a nightstick? Yeah. That's not something prisoners have. He stole it from the boss man. He stole it from the boss man, see? Wow. This shit. So he he chokes Sting. That's pretty much the first couple of minutes of the match. Yeah. Just choking Sting. It's really crap. Because so this is the prisoner's debut. So he's just um, allegedly pinned Vince McMahon to the wall and basically threatened to kill him. And will in the next couple of years accuse Vince McMahon of sexually assaulting him. So he's he's coming in quite hot. Like he's he's been angry in WWF. And you think, yeah, come on, you know what? Actually, like you know, I didn't really like now. The way it wasn't very good. But he's in there with Sting. His debut match. He's choking him. Well, he's choking him a lot. Is he going to do anything else? Doesn't really matter. Because if he gets disqualified, great. Everyone's happy. But he doesn't. Sting has to win. And Sting's crap. We all know Sting's crap. And it's it's like you said, Dingy, as well. He distracts himself. Old Nails does. And he just looks shit. And all I could think was, well, that was boring. And then I thought, what a way to bury someone on their debut. And I wondered if he ever recovered. It's um, it's not good. It's very, very messy. It's very, very mm. messy. Nails is not a talent at all. I'm going to put this out there because i know tom also agrees with you about sting i'm not yet of not passed judgment on sting i don't think we've seen him in a match that i feel is fair to pass judgment on but this is not good and i agree like you may as well just add nails come out do the choke thing for five minutes Mm. and have him be disqualified continue to choke him and then maybe have sting in a position where he's like he's really hurt and nails walks off as the crowd boo him so that you can Mm. set something else up for the future but instead, Sting comes back, wins the match, and it's over. And you're kind of left thinking, why? Why did you do that? And he also wins it with a clothesline from the top rope. Like, that's a that's devastating not move. It's a devastating <laughs> that's move. That's not a that. finishing move. Tom? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, watching Tom talk about these matches is exactly how I felt watching them yesterday. And do you know what the funny thing is? Like... I think I may have worked myself into believing that I quite enjoyed this pay-per-view, but talking back on it now, I'm really not. And this this is the end of the shit, really, because I, I, 
the next couple of matches I quite enjoyed. But Sting is crap. I don't, I mean, you know you haven't passed judgment, but I have. I passed judgment and then I'll pass water on him because <laughs> I don't. I really don't like Sting. I think he's. I think he's really bad. He doesn't even do his one redeeming feature in. in <laughs> yeah, don't even do that. Nails, as you've said, is shit, and he's about to accuse, accuse Vincent Van sexually assaulting him. Shouldn't laugh. It's not, isn't it? It's not a, like, not a thing to laugh at. But and like you said, Tinky, you said it perfectly. I got to the end of that and thought, what well, absolute waste of a debut. You could have, you could have even had, as you said, yeah, him get disqualified and leave Sting in a bad mess, and then at the next pay per view, Sting could beat him. Mm. Do you know what I mean? At least you'd have a character that could, in theory, be hot for a month. You know, even if then you realise that he's actually the drizzling shits, and then you boot him out because he's holding Bischoff against the wall, trying to finger him or whatever. Like, <laughs> I just I just think that it's just shit and absolutely waste of time. And thankfully, it's only five minutes long. Yeah, I think also I would say that this is concerning from a, I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's easy to kind of look back at it now. But when we think about what we talked about last time, we spoke about Spring Stampede with the way WWE would change in the latter half of 94. This is the almost the first indication that Bischoff will basically sign anybody who works for the WWF because Nails was evidently a problem character, somebody who clearly had issues with management regardless of whether they were justified or not if you're an employer your thought is oh you know what i'm going to go employ that guy who appears to have caused all kinds of trouble and has had kind of a major falling out with the the owner of the company and effectively you know they've had a bit of a fight like you just wouldn't employ that person especially when that person has no talent has no like no ability for the wrestling business there is absolutely no reason why you would sign nails other than because he used to work for wwf and i think that is concerning to me and obviously would eventually be a major problem that wsw would would come up against and it so it's it's kind of concerning that they even decided to hire him in the first place even if you give him a two-week contract it's too long because you've just ruined him and because as you say to you and tommy because he doesn't have any discernible talent, he ain't going to be able to get himself back over. Bag of shit. Indeed. So then we have another Eric Bischoff interview segment, Tommy. You'll be very pleased to know. He is yes. this time with The Crusher, who lists off the names of his grandchildren and says that he'd like to see, it, they'd like to see him beat Ox Baker, who's the other person who's with Eric Bischoff at this point. And Baker says he wishes he could wrestle again, but does concede that Crusher is better looking than him. <laughs> um... Ox Baker looks like 2009 MasterChef winner Matt Follis. It <laughs> <laughs> does. It does look like it. That's my note. I think up to this point, this is the best one of these, I think, because Ox Baker's just having a good time. He's being a bit weird. This is the guy who I think is trying to get the fluff off of Bischoff. Then he squeezes Bischoff at the end. And it's a bit like we said, like, it's a bit of fun. We're having a bit of fun old crusher waffling on about his grandkids i could have done without that but it's a nice thing he's talking about his grandkids because he loves them or he hates them like i can't figure out which but yeah go on lads more of this please i'm having a good time with this i think the problem is is here you've got all these supposed wrestling legends from an era which was you know much more kind of mired in kayfabe much more important to wrestlers in terms of them kind of portraying this kind of hard man tough guy kind of persona and they're all doing shout outs to their children to their grandchildren to their wives to their gr- their grandmother like it's like what are you doing guys it just feels a little bit pathetic that's the thing it just feels a bit pathetic 
Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's especially when yeah, when they when they say some of the stuff they do about them being tough and then immediately revert back into the soppy sentimental stuff. It it does come across weird. As I said, I was just more impressed by the fact that you look like Matt Follis than anything <laughs> else. To be perfectly honest, I was like, there we go. And then it made me made me look through the winners of MasterChef for the last couple <laughs> of years. And I realised, obviously, I had no idea who Irini Totsoglu was, who must have won it in 2019 when I was travelling. So I've got an entire season of MasterChef that I've never watched. Uh, it'll probably be on Netflix, I think. They're, they're, they're definitely somewhere on one of the streaming services that they're on. Knock yourself out. I'm I'm surprised, Tom, that though you've been looking that up because I thought that might be the subject of your next game, to be honest. So, <laughs> <laughs> so then we have a tag team match for the WW tag team titles. It's in a steel cage and it sees the Hollywood Blondes, who are the champions, take on Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas. Uh, they, uh, the Douglas and Steamboat team, are wearing masks, as you alluded to earlier on, Tom, and are called Dos Hombres for this particular contest uh it goes for 16 minutes and ends when austin pins shane douglas after dropping douglas down onto the top rope as shane douglas charges him in the corner uh he gets the pin as a consequence of that tom why don't we start with your thoughts on this one so yeah i I really like this match i thought it was really good um i thought that it's great watching austin in in this kind of manner he still has obviously as we said before he still hasn't found himself but he's he's great in the ring he's he's so good um and i think having brian pillman with him gave him that kind of comfort to be a little bit more put a little bit more personality into it um which i quite enjoyed despite the fact that shane douglas and ricky steamboat are two of my least favorite performers that we've covered during the show i actually thought it, they were really good it took me about i don't know five minutes i think before i realized that the impression or oh, the purpose of a cage match in wcw isn't to get out of the cage so I was like, why is no one trying to get out of the cage? <laughs> oh, that must be a WWF thing. Oh, there's a couple of really cool spots, like a really a really good like back body bump into the cage from Austin, which was really cool. Um, there was a, a, a hanging spot as well where he's hanging upside down from the top of the cage which is, and then gets like, jumped into, which is pretty cool. Ricky Steamboat does some chops. Um, and there's a, bit, there's a bit that, a bit of commentary from Zabisco that I quite liked, where he said, never look a rabbit's foot in the mouth. <laughs> which which was which was lovely. There's a really weird spot at the end where there's a two count, but the bell rings. They announce who the winner is, but the match is still going, which is yeah. very peculiar. Yeah. And yeah, the the, the finisher, the, the way that Austin finishes the match, which is as you said, Tinky, he kind of lifts him up, drops him onto the top rope. It was apparently called the stun gun, which must have been his finisher, which yeah. I think is quite interesting because I don't think of many finishers that utilize like the offensive move being on the ropes. Which is weird because obviously you think about the six one nine, but like the the move is the, the you know resting on the ropes and you know the the, the the legs kicking them in the face is is obviously is like the impact. But I don't recall many other moves that that rely on a finisher being mm. relying on the impact from the ropes. I thought it was quite cool and overall I thought it was actually a really good match. I I really enjoyed this. Good stuff, old man. I thought it was fine. I'll be honest. I thought Steamboat and Douglas being dressed in masks really for me anyway took away from it because like there didn't feel to be any drama because you didn't know who was one you can't see the selling because of the mask so you can't see their face and also you I didn't know who was tagging who so I didn't know when there was going to be a hot tag what was actually going to go on really and I yeah I felt like that really I really struggled with it 
is decent because of that. I feel like if they weren't wearing masks, it would have been a lovely old time. I think I was still in a slumber. I think I, I think I was with old man in the slumber, to be honest, because I was a bit like, I mean, it's fine. It is fine. But I agree. I really didn't like the fact they were wearing masks. It really detracted from my enjoyment of the contest, them being in masks. And I struggled with the fact that I didn't know who was in the ring. And the thing was, is they didn't get enough offense in to make it obvious. Like, so when Steamboat early on got some offense in, you're like, OK, well, that's Steamboat because he's doing the deep arm drags and he's doing his chops. But then the heels took over and you so quickly lost track of who was in the ring it wasn't clear who was in the ring it's one of those rare occasions where the story is that you can't tell who's who and you genuinely cannot tell who is who is who which doesn't happen very often um i've just realized something the why our opinions are kind of slightly different i took a break before the dory funk match smart man so i took a break of like a day and watched the rest of it the following day so i didn't have that long ass like section Mm. all in one go whereas i'm assuming you boys both watched it in one sitting yeah that's why i always watch the show in one sitting because i just feel like that's what it was meant to be watched how it was meant to be watched so that's why i kind of do it but also i just find it's easier if especially if you're a really bad pay-per-view it's very very difficult to revisit it halfway through when you already realize you're not enjoying it and I think possibly it is still a consequence of that 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 match in the middle, that 15 minute draw between Funk and Bockwinkle. I think I am really still suffering trying to get myself back into the show, but I just didn't feel like this did it for me, and it wasn't. It was okay, and I don't I, nothing wrong with it. I thought it was fine, but it it kind of took a long time to go anywhere, and then also I think there was a problem in terms of the end, as you said, was kind of the best bit, but it was kind of. There was a botch right in the middle of it where the where the ring bell goes and they start announcing the winner, but the match continues. Then there's a load of kind of dramatic near falls, but you're kind of still, hang on, what's going on? They've messed up. The, what's, what what happened? Are they winning? It, even the, the bit at the end, which was probably the best bit of the match, was kind of messed up because of that botch by the production team, I assume. So, yeah, not it just didn't, just didn't do a lot for me in the end. Next up, Eric Bischoff talks with Stu Hart, Mr. Wrestling 2 and Dusty Rhodes. Dusty responds to the Assassin's Challenge. He says his big ass is right here and is ready to have a match. Thankfully, we don't get that Dusty Rhodes Assassin contest because I'm not sure I could have taken it at this point. Um, Stu Hart wishes David Boy Smith all the best in his match with Vader tonight for the WWE World title and hopes that his son-in-law can take the world's championship. Stu Hart, don't know what's going on. There's, there's bits where they've been interviewed and he's just staring blankly into space. He's just like, uh. And then, then they get the bike for him. And he's like, uh, Dave, I said it, Lord. Davey, yeah, he's going to get. And he goes, he goes he's going to fight that big uh, uh, Van Vader. Because he obviously forgets his name. And, and I hope he can. And it's amazing. <laughs> I think for me and Tom, this is quite smart for everyone because it's got Mr. Wrestling too. <laughs> Just seems like such a good guy. And I also like, I feel like this is the first time while someone else is talking, the other old cunt isn't trying to get themselves over. And it's like Dusty Rhodes in particular, it pays a lot of attention when Stu Hart is talking and he's nodding his head and he's living the dream. Stu Hart's eight sons, wrestlers, and his daughters married to wrestlers mm-hmm. and then he repeats that again and he's like oh, okay we all know that's true i was interested to know how old he is in this but 79 
he's knocking on. I do wish that he like um, stretched Mr. Wrestling too, just for a laugh. <laughs> um, I what I did like actually about about this promo is that Dusty Rhodes still got it, still got mm. it on the on the mic, and Eric Bischoff is just looking at him in complete admiration and awe. Like the way you pointed out, Tinky, that Paul Heyman looks at people when he when he walks down to the ring with them. Yeah. He does the same thing. He's just clearly there. He's obviously Bischoff throughout all his his all his flaws, of which there are are many. He obviously is a big fan of Dusty Rhodes. And he's just, and he's obviously just there, like this is amazing. I'm, I'm still here interviewing Dusty Rhodes, and he's doing, he's doing this promo, and this is fucking brilliant. Yeah, he was, he was good. I mean, Dusty Rhodes is probably a fair bit younger than everybody else that he talks to as well during this, uh, during these interview segments. So, uh, it's not a surprise that he's more articulate than the the majority. Um, but as I said, just thankful we didn't get Dusty Rhodes versus the Assassin, quite frankly, because that would have been an impromptu match too far well, for my liking. And also, as as we said, like the Assassin could barely get his mask on. <laughs> how could he have had a match next up is the nwa world heavyweight championship match between barry windham the champion and Arn anderson a 10 and a half minute match and what happens here is that anderson is attacking windham in the corner he shoves the referee away when the referee tries to break it up immediately regrets it and in his re- and whilst he's regretting it uh windham gets the belt hits anderson with it behind the referee's back and gets the pin Anyone want to go here first? Who wants to who wants to pipe up first? I like the finish. Wyndham is bleeding an uncomfortable amount through the match. It's so dull that I think I might have slipped into a coma during the match because I just found it so... A bit like a lot of this stuff on this show is so one-paced, but there's no tension in it. They're not eager to... Anderson is saying that, oh, you've been avoiding me. He wants to beat him up. So he goes for two quick pins right off the bat. And he's like doing his little finger where he's like, oh, that close, that close to losing. And after that, I didn't really know what the match was trying to be. They rolled around for a bit. Arn Anderson is spine buster, which is a, an impressive spine buster. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not in for a spine buster. And yeah, it's boring. It's been a tough couple of hours to this point and it's not ending. Just feels very flat, a bit like I've said with the whole show as well. And I think this is the first point where I'm like, right, everything else can fuck off. I want the main event, and I don't know whether I want the main event because I'm excited to watch David Boy Smith versus Big Van Vader, or because I'm excited to know that when we get to the main event, there's going to probably be 20 minutes left, and I can get on with the rest of my life. <laughs> Tom, were you any uh, more up on this match? Oh, I was. As, I, as the match started, I realised I don't think I've ever seen either of these guys in a single match before. Arn Anderson always looked like a dad, hasn't he? He's got a lot of time for that. He always looks like a dad. You know, he, you know, he, he's good in like a, in a doing some DIY or in the house. You're like, God, oh, you really need to put this fucking shelf up. I can't be bothered. Arn, go around there, get your power tools, spine busting that up onto the wall. Lovely old job. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I referenced Arn's tan earlier, and he is in the white trunks now, and it is looking very pronounced. Then Barry Windham starts bleeding like a stuck pig. I'm concerned about the tights. I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm wondering what kind of non-biological cleaning detergent he's got, because blood ain't coming out of those tights. And then I thought to myself, you don't get that many Arnold's versus Barry's (laughs) in most walks of life. To be perfectly honest. And that was kind of what was going through my mind through a lot of this. I quite enjoyed it. There's a pretty impressive big bump from Arm Anderson from the top turn buckle to the outside. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. the match ends with, with the kind of oh, I'm pushing the referee, referee away and being like, oh, fuck, should have done that. And then getting hit and pinned. And all the rest of it in between was, was all right, I, I thought. Again, 
I had the break, mm-hmm. so that may have I may have come back with it with a bit of more of renewed enthusiasm because I'm thinking to myself, well, at least it ain't fucking Dory Funk versus that other bloke, you know. <laughs> so like maybe I'm I'm coming at it in a different mind state, but I I thought it was all right. I thought it was a perfectly acceptable acceptable match, and and I I reasonably enjoyed it. The only thing I will say, which is not necessarily a great endorsement of the match. Is I wasn't really sure who the babyface and who the heel was. No, I wasn't no. either, and that did affect my enjoyment of it. And I think actually, I don't think it was a bad match. I think it was okay, but I wasn't interested. I think it is because it was Aaron Anderson and Barry Windham, two people I just don't, I've never can get excited by. I just find them too. Aaron Anderson, what everything you said about Aaron Anderson being a dad and being the guy that you go to for your DIY is absolutely right. And that's exactly why I have no interest watching him having a wrestling match. Like, I just don't, I don't understand why I'm supposed to think this guy who looks unimpressive, who is kind of functional and has very little charisma. I mean, he's not a bad promo, but in terms of his just visual charisma has none. Um, I'm just, I don't understand why anyone's expected to ever be interested in what he does. I just don't get it. And same goes for Barry Windham, to be honest, not really that sure why anyone's supposed to care about him either. And yeah, I just found it. So as a, as a consequence of that, I wasn't invested. Didn't think it was bad. What I equated it to, if you remember, we spoke about um, Edge versus Kurt Angle at Backlash 2002 a little while back. And I said the first half, they seemed to go just into really big moves from the beginning. And it didn't really have any kind of story. There was no rhyme or reason for anything to happen. It just sort of, it almost like tried to force it into these people have been through an epic battle very quickly. Now they redeemed themselves in the second half of the match. because the second half of the match was fantastic. This match is exactly like the first half of the Edge Kurt Angle match, but all the way through. They go straight to big moves and within three or four minutes, you're expected to accept that they've been through this epic battle and that they're both completely like exhausted and that they've been like they've been through it all. And I just I'm not buying it. There's just no story that builds to that point. So for me, it was kind of it was OK. It wasn't bad, but it, I just couldn't get into it. Just couldn't. There was nothing for me to grasp onto. And I found it. Uh, yeah, just something that was sort of was out there. It was done. And we're, we're through it. Um, yeah, the, the, to be honest, we're through it. That pretty much sums it up, I think. So at that point, what I'm going to do is I'm going to suggest we take one last break and then we'll come Ooh. back to deal with the main event and the game. And of course, an update to our table, our top 10 table of shows we've watched so far. See you in a minute. He's simply ravishing.
Okay, so welcome back. Part three of today's show. It's been a been a few weeks since we've had a third part, actually, uh, which is interesting. Last couple of episodes have been two of our shortest. So it's main event time and we've got Big Van Vader defending the WWE world title against the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith in a 16 minute match, which ends when Smith hits a running power slam on Vader after uh, catching him in the corner. But Harley Race prevents the count, which uh, means Smith then goes after Harley Race. But Vader hits Smith with a chair in front of the referee and Vader is disqualified. Vader then goes to attack Smith again after the match. But first Bagwell and Scorpio run down to the ring to try and make the save. Vader deals with them and then sting arrives to finally run vader off tom why don't you tell us about your thoughts on this one so i know i kind of said this about don morocco earlier but i i double down on this when it comes to harley race you know harley race knows his way around a buffet i'm not saying he's particularly fat or out of shape because he's not considering his age but you know that he's a season vet you know that you get in he's not going for any carbs he's just going for fried meat do you know what i mean and he's gonna get that He's going to have that. He's probably going to chain smoke about 40 cigarettes during the time and drink whiskey. He's a fucking hardened buffet user, I think. And you know what else, though? Is He's he's tactical. He's not one of these people. He's, he's too polite to go in early to the buffet. Mm-hmm. But there's also another reason he doesn't go in early in the buffet. And that's because when you go in early to the buffet, you kind of have to be a little bit sparing with what you take. Because you, yeah. you don't know how many people's after you. You wait as long as you can towards the back, checking, of course, that there's still enough stuff there as you go. And then if, if everyone can go first, then there's still loads of stuff. That's the ideal, because yeah. then you get in at the end and just sweep sweep the rest of it. And lo- a little bit of shades of partridge, you know he's got his own plate. And you, <laughs> and you know, but you know his wife brings it along. Like she, yeah. she's, like, she's like, you ready? And he's like, I'm fucking ready. Get, get, the, big, get the big plate. She <laughs> gives it to him. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Davy Boy Smith, he's representing representing Britain. Yes, he is. Fucking right, he is Britain. What the fuck is he wearing? Right there, he is Britain. Tassels galore all over, all over. Not only has he got tassels on the boots, which you kind of expect from wrestling, he's got tassels down the side of his trousers and around his arms. Now we've we've discussed Davy Boy Smith. We see we've seen the uh, Rumble '95. Where in which he's still got the braids as well. Yeah. What's the deal with those braids? Because in in the profession or in the business of professional wrestling, you have quite a lot of head flailing around, and he's got beads at the end of them. They must have been so annoying to just be getting lashed in the face by his own hair. Ah, it's bad enough I'm in the ring with stinky fucking Vader. I'm getting hit in the fucking face with my lashed my lashed in the face with my stupid fucking braids. Um, very odd look, and it's it's even more extreme than he was in WWE. Anyway. That's beside the front row. Besides the front row. <laughs> I read my next. I read. That's a new expression. That is. That's besides. The front row. Don't worry about it. Um, Vader goes launches himself into the front row at one point, which was quite cool. There are some impressive feats of strength from Dave Boy Smith for the entire match, which they are very much at pains to say loads of times. The crowd are really into it. I thought, especially yeah. considering what they've been through, it, they are really into it. Like maybe they're on their seventh pint with old man at that point yes. but and and basically what then happens is that, like yeah as i said davy gets into the scrap with harley race then vader hits him in the chair for the dq bankwell and two called scorpio run in and get destroyed bankwell uh so scorpio comes in and just leaps over the top rope it's yes. a very impressive that's one good thing about having that ramp is that it enables him to just run he just jumps over the top rope which is very impressive and then sting comes down and makes a save and the crowd are loving it which i assume sets up a sting versus vader feud which i believe they they had a couple of good matches in 
the match itself was all right. I, again, I, I quite enjoyed it, I think. But again, I, I, I'm, I'm in my, I've got my second wind at this point. So I'm enjoying this a lot more than I think the you boys did, judging by your facial expressions. No, I, uh, I enjoyed this. So this is what we haven't had for what feels like about a month. There is a journey in this match. There is a structure in this match. And it's not just two old farts rolling around for an hour. They do quite a good job of this when they reference the main event that Vader's basically run through everyone. So he's injured Cactus Jack and he's injured a couple of other people whose names I forget. Sorry, lads. And uh, yeah, so he's like, he's strong. He's big. He's fucking 400 pounds or whatever it is. And uh, I like it because they have the early on, they have old DBS or David Boy Smith. So he's run into a couple of times by Vader and he stands up to him. And that's when the crowd are like, hello, here we fucking go. And then he gets obviously the one up. Like Tommy says, Vader takes the bump on top of the railing into the crowd. And there's a lady who I'm guessing has been asked to move for her own safety, just flat refused. Just no selling it completely, which I enjoyed. And then, like Tommy said, there's the strength moves. So immediately after that, uh, David Boy Smith's power slams, Vader. He then does a suplex on him, which is incredible. And I'm a big Vader fan. Bloody love a bit of Vader. And uh, you see, like, we've talked about big men before. Like, I remember Tinky saying about The Undertaker, how good he was, in that he's a proper good big man vader was as well like in particular at this point from what i've seen gets out for that suplex something lovely i just enjoyed it the finish is a bit disappointing but i also kind of knew that it wasn't going to go david boy's way because he was never world champion anyway and i i know that anyway didn't distract from it i enjoyed uh two called scorpio and bagwell coming down i don't really know why they come down but i enjoyed it and then and then he comes down the stinger and i'm like oh <laughs> The disdain that you said you had on your face when you said that was the the stinger. (laughs) The reason why I'm so disdainful of it, he's redone his makeup. (laughs) Pathetic. And like, I mean that as well. That is, I don't know why this bothered me so much, but it, it does. It's like we had Brian Knobs. I know, sorry, we had Jerry Sags in a towel going back a month or so ago, right? It feels very natural. The fact that Sting has gone back to do his makeup, he doesn't walk around the street with his makeup on. That's not a thing. So why do you felt the need to do his makeup again? Enjoy the match. I enjoy the end as well. And I have no problem with Sting coming down. But the fact that he's redone his makeup, for some reason, really took away from it. I didn't have a problem with this, the makeup thing. This was a really good match. Uh, I'm I'm completely with you both. I thought this was really enjoyable. Vader's just a fucking hero. I'm sorry, he's just a fucking hero. His match with the boss at Spring Stampede 94 is cracking. This is cracking as well. He's just top-notch. And there are different types of wrestlers that he's facing in both these matches. I also remember like a match he's at he has with Owen Hart at like one night only or something, the, the UK-only pay-per-view in 97. Phenomenal. He just can work with anyone. He's just fantastic. And they do a great job of putting David Boy Smith over as this super powerhouse kind of guy. Mm. As you said, old man, the vertical suplex is stunning. Like it's just gets him up. It's, it is proper vertical as well. It's like Vader is completely straight and David Boy Smith holds him in that position. It's phenomenal. There's also the bit where Vader's got a sort of, sort of chin lock type camel clutch sort of thing in place. And David Boy Smith is on his knees and powers him up from there into an electric chair position. And again, it's like, this is phenomenal. Like they really are showcasing 
what Davy Boy Smith USP is, which is that he's mm. fucking strong, and they do it perfectly. And not only that, but Davy Boy Smith can actually go, and like some other people that perhaps um, have that kind of attribute. It's just really good. And I was let down by the end. I just think the thing with this is, is that back in those days on pay-per-view, WCW, you're only going to be presenting five, maybe six pay-per-views a year at most. If you're going to put a world championship match in the main event of a pay-per-view, you should never have to fall back on the DQ or count-out finish. Mm-hmm. And I would criticize WWF for the same. They do it at SummerSlam 93, the same year with Lex Luger and Yokozuna. I just don't, I just think don't book the match. If you're unwilling to have one of them win, don't book the match. And that's because the biggest selling point of having a big one-on-one match between two guys like this is that you are trying to sell the idea that you're going to get a winner, that suddenly, you know, there's going to be a winner between who's going to win. I have no idea. There's this like unstoppable monster Vader. And then there's a super strong guy, David Boy Smith. Who's going to win? I don't know. Deliver on that, yeah. on the reason you've you've got people to buy this pay-per-view. And, and it, it annoys me when they don't deliver because ultimately I think it's just bad business. I think in the long run, people will just give up and say, you know what? I don't trust you as a company to give me a result that is satisfying. So I won't bother. But other than the end, really, really like the match. Um, thought it was really, really good. And so uh, I was very happy that they ended on a good note because, as I say, yes. up until that main event, I was just completely knocked out by the by the Buckwinkle Funk match. And I could not get over it. No matter what I did, I just could not like refocus at all enough to get myself back into it. So I'm really pleased that it ended on a good note. I just love the idea that's the old man at home spitting feathers, fuming about stinging his makeup. Tinky, you're just there. Oh, oh, I don't know what I have to do with myself. <laughs> this, this show has properly broken you in a way that none of the other ones have. Like it did with me at Fastlane in 2017. Yeah, I can't explain it. I think, as I say, that match in the middle was just so boring. That, I'm sorry, I know I, I it brought the rule in that we can't say that word yeah. anymore. But it just it is just so bad. And I, it's not bad from the perspective of technically. It's not bad technically. It's just not interesting. And no one's interested in it. Nobody. I wasn't interested in it. The people in the crowd aren't interested in it. It's not for anything. The, the main selling point is it's AWA versus NWA, two organizations that for all intents and purposes are done by this point. It's just not got anything about it and it sucked the life out of the rest of the show for me until the main event so that's kind of my summary of the show really uh I, i'll give you my rating out of 10 plus match of the night and mvp i believe we are now doing yes so uh, my rating out of 10 is a four because i did want to recognize the main event um i thought the main event was good and as i've said before i do tend to rate he- most heavily on the main event in terms of its impact on the show the opener was a cracker i thought the opener was really really good and the main event was great and the main event is is my match of the night and coincided with that big van vader is my mvp because i just i think i've I've been well in the know for a long time that i like vader and i think he's really good but this match really really secured it in my mind that i just think he's phenomenal i just think he's absolutely brilliant and he was great again in this one oh vader i found this very hard this is the hardest watch we've had so far because as i alluded to with the um with the legend shots there's not enough fun on this show for me basically the bookends are good that's it the rest of it i could take or leave not really interested to be honest um my match of the night is the main event just above the opener just about i've got now is there a limit to how many mvps we were allowed <laughs> no we haven't been doing this for very long so i mean well, no. No. Of course there is. It's the most valuable player. 
You can have, I've got three most valuable people. (laughs) Okay, I'll get Vader is the MVP. So this isn't a person. The theme song gets a nod as well. Would be a first ballot Hall of Famer, in my view, the the theme song. And also, uh, I want a nod of respect for Mr. Wrestling 2, who I've really taken a shine to, and I'm not going to watch any of his matches because I don't want it to be ruined. You know what? Um, I'm disappointed that you didn't make him MVP. I felt like I felt like he deserved it, given I, how much you took to him. I would have, but I think the shift that Vader puts in in the main event deserves it just. Because ultimately, Mr. Wrestling 2 just seems like a nice chat. That's not enough for MVP status. Well, I mean, let's not forget that Tom gave his MVP status last week to John Cone, referee, just because he was wildly, like, gesticulated. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with going... Mis- I'm, I'm really trying to talk you into it, just because I feel like it's quite fun. Uh, I, I feel like... Well, this is why I wanted to. But I do understand. But no, I feel like I'd be doing the memory of Leon Clark. Leon Clark? What's his name? Leon. <laughs> Leon Bridges. Leon, Leon Grace. Oh, uh, yeah. I'd be doing the memory of Leon White at this service if I didn't make him MVP. And also Leon Clark, who I think is still alive because he plays for some football clubs. Um, I've given this a three out of ten because the only bits that I enjoyed were opening tag match and the main event. The rest of it, I thought, was turgid stuff. So, Tom, your thoughts? My overall thoughts. I'm good. My overall score. I'm also giving it a four. So just looking at the looking at the the I, was, I only said track list. Then looking at the track list out of the ten matches, I'd say I probably enjoyed five of them. Um, so which should in theory give it fifty fifty. So five. But all of the pro all of the promos in between and all of the um and just all that the Hall of Fame ceremony and all that crap just knocked a point off of it. So I'm giving it a four as well. And mainly based on the strength of the main event and the cage match, which I really enjoyed. So I'm giving it a four. My match of the night is the is the main event. And my MVP is Rick Rude, obviously, because of the attack. Yeah. So, um, That's fair. Is it safe to say that this goes into the Fastlane 2017 Hall of Infamy? Well, how about... I mean, I, we now have done 20 shows. And my intention is going forward that every 10 shows, I will give us the top 10 from uh, in terms of where we are overall. Yeah. But I can also do it so that we do a bottom 10, and that would be the Hall of Infamy, if you like. So at the mm. moment, there will be some that won't fairly be in there because there's, we've only done 20. But over time, yeah. if you're in the top in the bottom 10, you really are not very good. So I can give you the full 20 right now, if you like, in reverse yeah, order. And you can pick out from here what the worst ones are. So interestingly, you haven't mentioned our worst rated show at this point, which is WCW Sold Out 97 or NWO Sold Out 97, I suppose I should call it, which has a rating or average rating of just two uh, and a highest <laughs> rating, a highest rating of three, which I think maybe you t- you gave it, Tom. Um, yeah. <laughs> then in 19th place is WWE Fastlane 2017, which is 2.67 average with a uh with a highest rating of four the thing the thing i'll say though about soul Out 97 it is the shit as one we've done but i had such a fucking laugh talking about it that and there were so many amusing moments like bad moments in it that made me laugh whereas fast in 2017 didn't have that well i think the thing you've got to consider is that you're now thinking about the show that we did and your rating of that show as opposed to the show that, that was actually presented to you so i think that's yeah. what we are judging the, the, these ratings on so then it's a wcw slambury 2000 which we obviously talked about a few weeks ago uh that's a 2.67 
Then it's last week's show that we did, which was Judgment Day 2007, a 3.33 for that one. Big Kane pay-per-view. Uh, <laughs> another 3.33 is the Saturday night's main event number one from May 1985 which we recently covered so we've not had a good run as of late to be honest mm. because that is where WCW Spring Stampede 93 comes in so it is 15th place at the moment out of the 20 we've watched a 3.67 rating can I just correct you I think you said WCW Spring Stampede 1993 is you're absolutely right. Slamboree 1993. Apologies. God, I've only just covered it and already I'm trying to yeah. change the name of it. Then we have 14, ECW Living Dangerously 99, 4.33. 13 is the first episode we did, WWE Royal Rumble 95, 4.33. Then we've got 12 is Clash of the Champions 5, St. Valentine's Massacre, which is an even average rating of 5. 11 is WWF Backlash 2002, 5.33 rating on that one. Uh, also 5.33 rating is WrestleMania 7. Number nine is the WWE Royal Rumble 2021, an even six, and another even six for Elimination Chamber 2013. Number seven is Payback 2016, which is a 6.33 rating. There's three shows that are joint fourth. WWF No Way Out 2000, WWE Saturday Night's Main Event 15, March 1988, and WWE Spring Stampede 94, 6.67, which I think is a, a little bit of a crazy situation because Spring Stampede's better than both of those by a long way. Uh, <laughs> That's just my opinion, obviously. Third is the WWE Royal Rumble 1992, 7.33 rating. Second is, and well, to be honest, joint first, is WrestleMania 19 and WrestleMania 30, both with an 8.33 average rating. Well done, wow. lads. Could we get into a position where we can have promotion and relegation? <laughs> well, not really, no, because you, you, we're not going to revisit them. I hope, anyway. <laughs> so we can't exactly put them in the rest of the I'm going to rewatch this show this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to next week uh, having a little bit of a, a period where on the show where we exclusively dedicated to your reviewing of this <laughs> Sambury 93 show. So mm-hmm. can't wait for that. Before we get on to the game, uh, don't forget to give us a rating and or a review wherever it is that you get your podcasts and give us a follow on our social media channels. We can be found at UK. Can I also say that we will accept any gifts that people want to give us as well? Absolutely. I particularly am holding out for a Buff Bagwell pennant that you that you yes. part of WCW Slamboree's I, giveaway. I really thought for a second, because we were talking about Harley Race and the buffets earlier, I really thought you were going to go, I'm really hoping for a buffet, <laughs> <laughs> which I'd also accept. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If anyone wants to make us a buffet, that would be fine, too. Um, and again, you know, going back to the rating and review, if you want to tell us what prize you'd like to give us, in your review that's fine as well so you know i i I pledge to give you a foam heart that would be wonderful yeah and also obviously we'd like it if you run the gifts past us because we don't want any crap gifts (laughs) or good gifts i I will i will take any gifts just (laughs) so we were talking about buffets earlier Want to tell a little story that has just popped into me, Ed. So there used to be a buffet in Bristol where us three lads are living our best lives. I can't remember what it's called. It's not the big one. It's not Zaza Bazaar. I want to make that very clear just in case they sue us. So it's where uh, a bar called Yates's used yeah. to be. I can't, can't remember what it was called. But uh, So there's a story. I don't know whether it was true. So it was a Christmas. I'm chatting with this uh, guy that I used to work with. And he's like, oh, my wife went to a... Uh, to the place that has no name on uh, on Friday, and this is um this is what's termed when I used to work in a restaurant deemed Black Friday. 
So it's the Friday before Christmas, the last Friday before Christmas, because everyone gets absolutely fucking trolleyed and people who can't handle their booze get trolleyed for the first time in a year. And uh, he said uh, his wife was there just getting some stuff off the buffet. Lovely old job. And she just said, Gary, what are you up to? She's like, who's Gary? Never mind. eh? walks back to her table and everyone's just looking up at this little balcony bit that was above the food. And this gentleman, who we assume is called Gary, was just taking a piss all over the buffet. Just having a piss all all over the buffet. And they're sat there. They're like, oh, that's a bit disgusting. And Gary's let himself go there. Well, quite literally let himself go. And uh, they're like, oh, that's a bit horrible. And uh, the staff in the buffet place didn't clear any of the food. Just left it. So people were just eating piss-covered food. (laughs) Piss-covered buffet. Which is not... It's not a gift that we will accept. I bet even Harley Race had turned that down. <laughs> Noted buffet fan that, that he is. <laughs> we, we, we also forgot to mention his dirty little Tash. Oh, it's lovely. <laughs> lovely, little, lovely little job. Oh, well, actually, also speaking of Tashes, we also failed to mention that after the main event, old uh, Eric Bischoff interviews Magnum TA and his moustache. Yes. He does indeed. I don't really know why either, because they don't really say anything of interest whatsoever. But that does happen. And then right at the end of the show, Tony Schiavone, Larry Zbysko and Vern Gagne are back at ringside talking Mm. about the show as well. Gagne says that WCW is the best wrestling in the world. And on that evidence, I think he's wrong, quite frankly. Yeah. (laughs) So, old man, the game. Right. Here we go then, lads. We've obviously delved into WCW again. We've had a, I think we can all agree, we've had a wonderful time. (laughs) Me, particularly, have enjoyed this. So what we are looking for is we are looking for WCW pay-per-view titles. So these will run from 1989 to obviously when they closed, well, their last pay-per-view was 2001. We will have, let's go Tinky first. Okay, let's go with Slamboree, since we've just done it. Yeah, so run from 1993 to 2000. Uh, Spring Stampede. Spring Stampede, yeah. Ran in 1994 and then 1997 to 2000. Halloween Havoc. Halloween Havoc, correct. Ran from 1989 to the year 2000. Uh, Bash at the Beach. Yeah, Bash at the Beach ran from 1994 to the year 2000. Starcade. Starcade, correct. Ran from 1991 to 2000. And that was obviously famously named after Freddy Star. <laughs> um, Beach Blast. Beach Blast, correct. Ran in 1992 and 1993. Uh, sold out. Sold out, correct. Ran 1997 to 2000. Uh, World War Three. World War Three, correct. Oddly ran 1995 to 1998. Yes, um, Super Brawl. Super Brawl. Yeah, ran from 1992 to 2001. Was actually the last WCW branded pay-per-view. Greed. Greed. Excellent. That might have been the last one. That was the last one. That was the last one. Uh, Okay. Um, Uncensored. Uncensored. Yes, from 1995 to the year 2000. Um, Road Wild. Road Wild, 1997 to 1999. I must say, I'm fucking impressed. This is very good. Uh, Great American Bash. Yes. Ran, uh, I think it was, uh, I deleted the other one. Basically, they had a little break for a year, and then it ran from 1995 to 2000. Um, Hog Wild. Hog Wild. It was a one-time deal, 
when they must have gone the whole hog, 1996. <laughs> uh, full brawl. Yes. Not to be confused with someone falling over. It took place in autumn for the British listeners. Uh, 1993 to 2000. So I'm struggling now. War. That's outstanding. That is outstanding. Brand <laughs> 1990 as NWA Wrestle War and in 1991 as WCW Wrestle War. Cool. Okay. Uh, Sin. Oh, that's outstanding. Oh, God. That, that has got late 90s, to early 2000s. That is 2001. Yeah. Repug Vince Russo fucking pay-per-view written yeah. all over, isn't it? <laughs> it's tough. Oh, tell you what. You, you've already got more than I would. So go on, Tommy. Come on, you got it, lad. I believe in you. <laughs> I don't. I'm not. I'm going to go with I know it's wrong. Clash of Champions. It is wrong, I'm afraid. I knew I wanted pay-per-view. That's all I could think of. I tell you what. So, oh, man. Effort. How many yeah. others are there? So there are actually one, two, three, four, five, six left. Oh, I've only got three. Pathetic. Um, Mayhem. Yeah, 99 and 2000. New Blood Rising, I think it was called. New Blood Rising in 2000. Then I've got, now I don't know if this counts as different, but I'm pretty sure Super Bowl Revenge was uh, the 2001 edition, maybe, of Super Bowl or 2000 edition. Uh, that's not on here i think so, all, the, all the ones i haven't got i think are yeah. early earlier like early wsw ones which i don't know a lot about so 1989 shytown rumble oh yeah oh. 1990 capital combat yeah mm. and then battle bowl mm. in 1993 i'll be honest boys that was an outstanding effort because I looked through this list and I was like, I'd have probably got Starcade, Slambury, Beach Blast, Great American Bash, and that would have probably done me. Well done, lads. Proud of you. Oh, Especially you, Tom. Yeah. Thank you. The other thing is, as well, is I don't know whether Tommy can vouch for it. It's an intimidating thing, facing Tinky. <laughs> I, feel like I feel like all my confidence is gone. You're going into it with a handicap. Yeah. Maybe we need to add add a new rule into this, and that we get like we get like three on him already. We could get, get three unanswered goes. <laughs> I think that I think that might be a bridge too far. I think I might struggle with that. But well, we'll and, and also, judging by my recent performances, I'm going to struggle to get three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that brings us right to the end of everything that wraps it all up. Uh, old man, thank you for joining me today for this show. Well, thank you very much, Honest. It's been, it was a difficult watch. It was a very difficult watch, but I am so proud to have been able to discuss it with you boys. Safe in the knowledge that regardless of what happens, you'll always remember Kemper Terra. And Thomas, thank you for your contributions as well. It was a pleasure. We will be back again next week for what we hope will be a higher quality of show because we've had some stinkers as of late. But until then, take care.